Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira and with me as always... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. May it please Omega. And <laughs> it does. Uh, this is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seaquartz, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, and critique. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. For example, Michael Campochiaro has a very interesting article named The Complicated Legacies of Wonder Woman and Lois Lane. This is a review of William Hanley's books on these two iconic women. Hmm. Interesting. And if you like it, support uh, Seaport. We have Patreon, right? Yep, support smart criticism in comics. So, shall we go on straight to the news? Let's. Hasn't it been a pleasant couple of weeks? Well, it's been quiet. Pleasant yeah. in comic book, you know, newsdom is not a, lot of, not a lot of controversy. Just a few stupid decisions yeah. per two weeks. And it's the sort of stupid decisions you can live with. Mm. Like, uh, spoilers for Civil War Two. they killed off... Rhodey? Rhodey. It's like, well, I don't. I don't think he's dead. I think he's just wounded. I well, they're playing it up like they killed him, and then it's like, well, I, you... I, because I've read the first issue, and the only thing I remember is not liking it. So I'm not even sure what happened. I don't know if it was David Brothers who said it, but basically, like, there's this comparison where, like, in both of the Civil mm-hmm. War events, yeah, the black guy dies, and then it's only a setup for like the big death that comes afterwards. And it's like, well, in an event named after the war to free black yeah. people from slavery in the United States, kind of bad. It's, it's not tone deaf. It's just stupid. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, but it's not. Really. But it's also not worth getting angry about. Like it's just. Well, I, I, it's worth. We're just not going to. Yeah. Sorry. You know, it's just it's just really freaking stupid. So really, let's talk about the the problems and and interesting developments that have happened lately. Uh, we'll start with comics, and yeah, we really we only might have, as well. We yeah. are a comic book podcast. Sure, we really only have the one item though, which is that uh, Justice League, the Brian Hitch book, has not been to be confused canceled. with Justice League of America or Justice League Detroit. Or I think Justice, Justice League, League. No, no, 2000. no. Because they have two in DC. They have two ongoing Justice League titles. Supposedly, one uh-huh. of them is mainstream continuity, uh-huh. and the Brian Hitch one was supposed to be out of continuity, well, not it, involved in. Well, it couldn't get any further out of continuity, could it? Because it has been canceled due to Hitch's habitual lateness. I feel like. Someone could have warned DC about this. I feel like there's maybe documented evidence of somebody. Could you don't have been need like, to see into the future; you just need to see into the past. Yeah, see? just like you don't hire Brian Hitch to do a monthly comic no, book or could, a bi-monthly. You could go to Wikipedia and be like, hmm, "What is this thing, Ultimate Six, and why is there such a huge gap between issues for a six-issue miniseries?" He did Ultimate Six. I'm pretty sure he did. I, I don't think so. But you know, the Ultimates number two. Oh, we're on, eight months right. delay between issue twelve <laughs> and thirteen. I mean, it's Hitch. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming that they hired him for six you, issues for, for or name so? recognition or yeah. maybe just for six issues and there was talk in fact when we were discussing like the, his appointment as as writer and artist it was like okay maybe he'll get a different artist yeah. and then just crank out scripts but apparently he was sticking through it and that as evidenced by the fact that issue 9 was due in March and there has been no it's issue. It, I don't remember when the last time I've heard about a title being canceled at the big two because of lateness you know, canceled um, because of low sales, sure, they do it all the time, but yeah. canceling mid-story, apparently, I haven't read it. Probably. I, I, I'm i guessing that lateness? this is... I'm guessing it's the, the lateness is just a convenient excuse, it's probably because of Rebirth. Hmm. Like, they decided if they were going to reboot the entire line anyway, despite what Dan DiDio says, it is a reboot, and nobody's fooled by that, to then have this book that was, like, in limbo between events, I guess it just didn't suit them. And it's no big loss, because Hitch is... Well, I, I've only read the first issue, which was 
It wasn't bad. It was just, you know, okay. It was middling. Yeah. You know, like, what? I don't know. Th- if there was like, nothing there that would drive you back. I, yeah, not even itches hard. And I don't know if it's me growing old or, or him growing less accomplished. Because I remember reading, you know, the Authority and the Ultimates, the first Ultimate, and it was just mm. being blown away by what is this stuff? Yeah. And then reading his recent stuff, everything he did since what was the Image one? America Got Powers. I think so. Yeah. And being like, it's kind of stilted and boring and not very. I think he's one of those creators who never learned to evolve past his heyday. Like he had a certain period. In I, which... I it's kind of feel it's like Alex Ross, where you, when you first look at Alex Ross's art, you're like, oh my god, what is this? But then when you keep on reading comics, you're like, well, yeah. Other than it looks so different, there's not much to it. Did he do Wanted with Mark Miller? No, no, that was J.G. Jones. Ah, okay. And we've talked, uh, what was it, like two episodes ago about uh, Sienkiewicz? Yeah. And about Sienkiewicz was one of those guys where at first it looks amazing, but then it still looks amazing. Yeah. Because it's not just about the wow effect. There actually is, you know, storytelling chops yeah. and a lot of interesting stuff going around there. And it's not dated either mm. because, like, the thing with Sienkiewicz is that if you if you had never read his stuff before and you went back and you read, like, the Demon Bear Saga or something yeah. like that, you would be blown away. Here, I mean, Hitch did do a huge part in like promoting this concept of widescreen comics with the authority yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. really bringing that aesthetic to the fore but it's you could argue that there have been writers since Hitch who improved upon that format and so it's not really a, that much of a revelation when he comes back and does the Justice League it's like okay you know you're you're doing early 2000s retro but we don't really have nostalgic mm. affection for early 2000s for the most part we're not there yet uh, maybe in 10 years it's, it's not you it's us it's us, Hitch. Well, well, and, well no, and, and it's also him because he's late. And this is editorial. Which, they're full of no, problems, but, you too. Know, but. I, I'm sad for the readers, you know, because there were, you know, people who read it and enjoyed it, apparently. Sure. And just, you know, in midstream saying, like, well, cancelled. But, you know, this is the reality. No, but when, let, when let you're him a finish, company, you know, even if it takes him the five, six years it'll take him, you know, let him do two issues and just, you know, close the gaps. When you're a company that is constantly changing their mission statement for their entire universe every two years, it does become a risk to say, okay, we have this guy who's doing like this retro uh, Justice League adventure or whatever, but his aesthetic or whatever creative direct it's retro but it's not retro for the right year it's like we wanted him to be retro for yeah. 2005 2009 and he's retro and, for 2002 and, and quite like, frankly no. you know like dc being dc i have no doubt that hitch was instructed in some way to like there had to have been editorial constraints on this book right so like i can understand why they're saying no no, no we're not doing dcu anymore mm. we're not doing that what we are going to do is like we're doing rebirth now so can you Maybe change... Oh, issue 9 isn't out yet? Okay, so never mind. Um, eh, it is what it is, but yeah. I mean... Listen... I'm, I'm sad for the fans, you know. It, it, it does... I mean, Because when you do that, you can't just expect the fans to be like, well, follow our next book, yeah. because... Why? Would you, ju- would you just cancel it again? Exa- and like this is something that I have been arguing with with DC fans over like the last two weeks because it's been like, oh, you know, Rebirth was really good and there was like uh, Greg Rucka's back on Wonder Woman. And I'm like, look, I understand. Rebirth was being- not really good. I've read it since our, the last episode where we, you know, hummed and hewed about it. But yeah. No, no, no. It's no, not Rebirth good. is crap. You but, know. you know, Tom King is on Batman, Greg Rucka's on Wonder Woman. Like, I understand the desire to be enthusiastic about this books. 
I'm not going to waste time on it because, quite frankly, DC has given me no reason to think, like, will this book even be here in six months? And will it finish its run? Whatever happened to the second half of press? Like, we didn't like it. <laughs> allow the fans, you know, a measure of closure. Nothing, because they don't prioritize that anymore. And to be fair, that's something that they, that's a problem. I mean, we love Image, but Image has that problem too. Mm. Like, there is sort of this nonchalance these days about not providing your readers closure when they have like the ones that have stuck with you issue to issue right that there's a lack of loyalty there that i find problematic because it's like okay i i was reading and you know like the ur example that i always go back to is crossing midnight Mm. right where it's like you could have taken that fall and at the very least given the people who were there which they're not a lot uh, how many were reading it? 7,000, 10,000, 15,000, whatever. These are still people who are buying the monthly issues. You don't owe it to the general audience. You owe it to them to do like well, the proper Well, they tried. Ending. Crossing Midnight, they actually, you know, Kerry tried his best. And, right. You know, the art became really The rough. circumstances didn't allow him to do that. Which I think maybe... I, I, have you read uh, Kirby's Omak, the original? No, but I, I know he, the story. He was but... basically, you know, he was in the middle of drawing... Issue 8, he was like, well, it's cancelled. So the last page is like, a satellite yeah. fall, rocks fall, everybody dies. Yeah, it happens all the time. And in fact, But he did, he closed it, you know, stupidly and swiftly, but he closed it. Yeah, I just think, like, that particular situation is disloyal to the people who did stick around. And it wouldn't be a problem if you were like, I don't know, a major TV network, you know, closing up. A series where you have millions of viewers, and like, well, okay, some of them will be disappointed. But when you're such a small industry and you basically beg and cajole, you know, every five thousand people to, mm-hmm. well, you have to buy it monthly because the artist needs the, yeah. the money immediately and the company needs the money now. And, and then, then you're you like, get, and then, then you you're get like, like Pisces. No, and then you're like, well, yeah, you have to support us. You have to support us. We're not going to actually finish this. <laughs> We're busy. We have a new exactly. project coming. Exactly. You can't have it both ways. You cannot ask for readers. And no, but then it's like what what's what's so infuriating about this situation is that they don't like DC and Marvel and Image as well. Like you know, these editors don't seem to understand the the bilateral nature of that relationship. You can't ask readers to show their support through the purchase of single issues because you know in order to show support for the authors and and the artists but then say we are under no reciprocal obligation to finish the story you buy the single issues and if it doesn't sell anyway well that is what it is Mm. like well okay so and then you wonder why there's no loyalty anymore among your readers because they have no reason to think that you will reward them for that so you know it is what it is. Uh, TV movie news? TV movie news. So, Supergirl has a cousin. Yeah. You might have heard of him. Yeah. He's his cousin, lives in Metropolis. Barrel? Her cousin. Barrel? Her cousin, you know who... Laurel? Barrel? It's some L, hmm. some, some kind of L. But her cousin, he lives in Metropolis. He's he's very famous, apparently. Okay. Uh, so, Superman will be appearing in season two of Supergirl. So they, they haven't lo- cast him yet. So, they lost Kalisa Flockhart, but they've gained the Superman. That's an interesting now, trade. It, well, no, they haven't lost her. They, well, I, from what I understood, b- when they change seasons, they also change stations, right? Because yeah. the original station sort of like it's too expensive. We're dropping it, and Kalista and Flockhart, it's horrible to say this, but Kalista Flockhart is older than the average CW actress. And no, and she said, "Well, 
when you're changing stations, you're basically forcing all of production to move from ah, coast to coast. And if you do she, that... She has kids. She's not going to Yeah, move. and if you do that, you know, fine, you do that. I'm staying here. I'm not in the mood for that. And, mm. you know, perfectly fine. You know, moving your whole life for a I year. Guess. Not, not... I guess. That's understandable. So they lost... So they lost... But more broadly Martin speaking, though... Superman. Superman... Okay, so what's your take on this? Like, Superman well, becoming I, I, a recurring character in a Supergirl Well, they show? only said, like, two episodes, right? But they're, like, establishing his presence as uh, someone who's actually... Like, I, they're casting I, I don't watch the show, so I, I don't have any, you know, any clues. It feels like something that you want to avoid simply because the whole point of the show is that she's on her own, right? Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be the big star... And, and also, po- historically, whenever Superman shows up, he tends to overwrite her. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a mistake, I think. But we'll see who Again, they cast. I, I, yeah. Who will they cast? It's kind of like... In the CW? I mean, they're going to find some attractive, dark-haired young man who's 50 and playing... No, who's, no. Like, <laughs> who's like 30 playing 15, and I'm sure they'll figure it out. But I'm just like, I don't... Especially after... Like, we are still sort of, like, dealing with the after-sickness of Batman Smallville. Batman Superman? Well, well, that too. I mean, look, Henry Cavill didn't help, but, I mean, Smallville was not that long ago. We had, like, ten See, long technically, seasons Technically, still of not Superman. in the same universe as uh, as the other DC shows, right? It's not in the same universe of no. Flash and Legend. Well, so they could bring in... Uh, Tom his, Welling? No, no, no. What's his face from... Uh, Henry Cavill? No, no. The guy who plays the Atom in Legends of Tomorrow. Ray- oh, my God. Brandon Routh. Um, they could I, they could bring him. They and then, could, and but w- I don't think that Brandon Routh would ever, ever put on that suit. And when they actually, and when him. they do the crossover again, because obviously they will do a crossover again, they will have him play both the Adam <laughs> and Superman. He's like, so in this universe, I and mean, in this universe, that's strange. That would be interesting. I've also heard like fan theories of saying like they might as well just cast Tom Welling, who may be old as hell, but could probably He's still pull it off. He, like he aged. He's 30-something, but, like, when you look at photos of him today, he's, like, he's he's gone gray. Oh, really? Which just tells me that, like... The Superman role is not kind to people. No. You know, it literally killed one of them. Yeah. Chris, well, Christopher Reeve also no, didn't yeah. exactly... I mean, no, you're talking about George Reeves. Yes. But, like, Christopher Reeve didn't have a good time afterwards either. Don't cast anybody named Reeves for the role. Just you um, know, avoid that. And Dean Cain turned into like a Republican nut job, and mm-hmm. so like he, he he looks like old today. Yeah, he looks respected. I like he, it. Sure, but could you imagine him like putting putting suit back on? I don't know. Well, he, he only put it for like two seconds in the actual Smallville. <laughs> like we don't so actually know what change. he would look like. It's uh, interesting though that you know for many people he is the Superman, right? Because he would have to be. Sure. You know we keep talking about Smallville. Like we hated it, but it ran for like ten seasons. Yeah. So for a lot of people, this is like this is my Superman. And we this came up a while back in in a different context, but it's like it really does come down to what adaptation you would have been exposed to mm. first, right? For a lot of people in our generation, I think their first encounter would have either been Christopher Reeve or Dean Cain. Like, one yeah. of the two, because well, they were see, airing... My first adaptation is such a low bar that, for me, everything is, is good Superman, because... Not the 80s Superboy. Uh, no, Superboy... Superman 4, Quest for Peace. This was the first Ooh. Superman movie I watched. Ooh, yep. ooh. Although... So the bar is low. <laughs> the bar is everybody, low for everybody. quality of film, but, I mean, Reeve was still Reeve Reeve was movie. still Reeve, yeah. You know, so, like... Well, he, he obviously didn't want to be there. He was like, yeah. I'm only in it for the money. Or, like, for preventing nuclear war or something. I don't know. There hey, was, hey, hey, hey. 
Have, has there been a single nuclear war since Superman 4 Quest for Peace? No. Reeves did it. QED. Okay. Yeah. I, I can assign that to That's him. That's math. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with attributing that to him. Um, I just don't know if we need enough, because like, it goes back to a discussion that we had like when they started announcing the casting for the Justice League movie and it turned out that Ezra Miller would be playing a different Barry Allen. Yeah. And it goes back to the whole question of, and then of course like the CW actors got annoyed. Like, uh, uh, Stephen Amell, who plays Arrow, went on this huge rant, which you would assign to egotism, except that he wasn't mad about himself. He was mad that Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen on the TV show, wasn't going to be, like, the Flash in the film. Which I guess is a nice sort of, you know, gesture for a fellow actor. But it does raise the question of why do you need so many versions of the same character running concurrently? That's new. I don't think that... Because... To the best of my memory, uh, when the Lois and Clark television show was running, the live action show. The Superman movies were over. When the was Superman, the last Superman movie? 1990, right? I, it couldn't have been. 78 was the first one. Yeah. Superman 4 must have been like late 80s. Oh, okay. It couldn't have been 90. Because there was a huge skit between 3 and 4. Yeah. Because after 3 was like, well, I'm done here. And he only did 4 to get money to finance his uh, other movie that failed, Street Smart right. or something. But, but no, 1987 was oh, okay. But I mean, oh, tail end of the 80s. Yeah. And then Lois and Clark turned up. And I think the animated series was running... 96. 90, so like after uh, Lois yeah. and Clark ended. And now it does seem to be the situation well, where yeah, all of these versions yeah, are well, anima- at the animated same time. can run concurrently with sure. But now we have Henry Cavill and whoever's going to be on the CW, and yeah. it's it's just it's strange, you know, mm-hmm. like to have all of these. And then of course, like David Goyer and and Snyder were like eh, parallel realities, and they're all like that. And it's like you know, comic books have been doing it for years. Which yeah, is but fine. But do they need it? Well, we still haven't seen it, right? We still didn't have uh, parallel live action roles. Because uh, Smallville was yeah, because by the time, conventional knowledge would say why do you need started, it? Right? Yeah, it was yeah. over by then. But like, because I, I, I think the reason that that didn't exist is just because it makes sense for it not to exist. Like, why would you have competing versions of the same character and not say try to introduce different characters? Like Ezra Miller, who's who's like the the new cinematic Flash, could have just been Wally West. Could have been Bart Allen. Yeah, could have the, been re- J- could the have reason been the reason Batman was never in Smallville and they had Arrow instead is, is because they didn't, you know, the movies were running at the time and the guys making the movies were like, no, 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 no. And that's can't. a sensible approach. Because, like, why would you want to split? Like, why would you want to create a division within your own fan base mm-hmm. as to people who will prefer Ezra Miller as the Flash and people who will pr- prefer Grant Gustin as the Flash because the CW never cancels and, anything. So by the time Justice League goes around... not even liking, uh, you know, the Green Arrow in Smallville or in Arrow, they actually made him a pretty big character. You know, nobody nobody in the white public cared about Green Arrow before that, but mm-hmm. now, you know, you, he's popular. He was he, sort of a bit character in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. But he was never, like, and people liked him for that, but that was like a bit role. Nobody yeah. ever went in on, like, and a, now a you, Green Arrow And now you can sell, now, because he was in that show, in that show, because you didn't put Batman in there again, you could do, you know, Green Arrow merch. Sure. I mean, you can do Green Arrow merch and Batman merch. You could have done literally anything. Batman as a character, for example, we had only just had the Nolan films. Mm-hmm. And granted that there wasn't a television version airing at the same time, but it's like, people are still doing, like, Why So Serious or, like, making the Bane voice. Yeah. 
So I don't know, like, I understand the, the logic of bringing in Batman and, you know, recasting him, but it's just like, why are you doing it all, like, one after the other and, like, so close together and overlapping at times? It just seems to, like, it dilutes your own brand. It damages you by having all these different versions. And really, like, when you think about it, that's sort of the lesson that you would think the comics industry would have learned by now. Like... The, the whole the thing how... The comics industry learning a lesson. What alternative I mean, universe Sean is here? But, exa- like, the whole thing with the number ones, right? Where people keep telling him, if you keep rebooting your numbers over and over and over again, people are just going to stop paying attention to the fact that number one is supposed to be special, right? Nobody's going to care because you do it, like, literally the, the, every was, other week. The joke was made in the 90s. What, was it milk and cheese that had, like, five number ones in a yeah. row? Uh, Skull Kickers, was it Skull Kickers? Yeah, 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 you know, Skull Kickers Dark number one, yeah. uh, Savage Skull Kickers number one. It's to the point, one. the parody. Yeah. So it's like, so if you are operating under that logic, why would you then create a situation where you're, they're competing with themselves? Well, like, the DC Cinematic Universe is competing with the Arrowverse for the attention of the same fan base. It's the same people either way. Hmm. I just don't get it. It seems such is so counterintuitive. Well, we'll see. Well, I won't see it, but people will watch it, so they will see. Casting news? Okay. So, uh, Brie Larson is the frontrunner to play Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. Now, unconventional, yes, because I have never seen her in an action film. Now, I will say she's a fantastic she's a actress. Very, she's, she's a very she's good amazing. actress. The well, room was great. That I didn't see. I've seen her in Scott Pilgrim vs. Yeah. World, and she was in United States of Terror for three yeah. seasons, and she was amazing. She's an amazing actress. She's a very good actress. Even And even though she's, like, almost 30 now, she's still... She's very young-looking. Yes. So, yeah, and Carol Danvers is supposed to be, like, you know, this mature, post-army career woman. And she could pull it off, I think. Even in Room, where, you know, she was playing a mother of five years, she was like a young mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's look, it, I remember, because I remember when they were announced Ellen Page cast in the adaptation of Quinn and Country, which never happened, right? Right. And I was like, Ellen Page is a very good actress, but she looks like she's 16. Yeah, like even Tara now. Chance. Yeah, and Tara Chance is supposed to be like, you know, this very old, gruff, not old, you know, gruff, been through it woman. Yeah. Although I do question, like, with Ellen Page specifically, I've seen her in several different modes. Like, for example, uh, in Hard Candy. Have you yeah. ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. How old was she actually she, in that film? She was, film? like, 18, I think. Yeah, she wasn't underage. No, no, but no. But she was playing in the film, like, what, 14? 14. So, like... She's young-looking, okay. She she can sort of pull that off. And I think also in the other direction, like, Kitty Pride in Days of Future Past would have been in her 30s, right? Early, early 30, you know, late 20s. Yeah. So, and, but she doesn't look it. No. Yeah, you know. So... But, okay, but back to Brie Lo- A, yeah. front-runner still means, you know, nothing is determined. Right. Nothing Although, is Although, usually in the casting process when they're talking about that, it's like, um... It, uh, Chadwick Boseman was like mm. front runner for T'Challa, and then that ended up happening. Yeah, but Marvel is changing stuff all the time. You can yeah. you can never be sure with them. She would be an interesting choice, I think. I've never considered her as like an act. Like my go to for Carol Danvers Katie was always Sackoff. every the internet decided Katie Sackhoff, and Marvel was like, mm, I mean, no, because it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I'm always going to be the person who wishes. Joaquin Phoenix could have gotten his shit together to be Doctor Strange hmm. because he would have been so much better than yet another well, Benedict Joaquin Cumberbatch. Joaquin Phoenix is better than just about anyone and anything when it comes to acting. So, but you unfortunately, know, he's batshit he crazy. Have, he could have also been a great Iron Man, but he, you know. No, no. You yeah. know, like, 
we've said this before. Yeah. Like Marvel's casting has it's been, usually been right for the most part. It took them a while to figure out the Hulk, I think, mm. but eventually they nailed that too because Ruffalo's been really good in the role. I think. Yeah. And you know they got Thor right. They got Lo- they got Loki right. And how? Um, I mean, just look at the reaction. But so I like if they if they say Brie Larson is a front runner, I'm like okay. You clearly know what you're doing. Yeah, there's still I'm, such a long time until the Captain Marvel movies, if and when. Depending on whether or not they want to see her earlier, though, is well, the question. Yeah. Well, it, even if they do, it'll probably be in Avengers uh, Unity War, or whatever the new name is. No, uh, Captain Marvel airs before that. Oh, I so think. when will she appear in what movie? She well, won't, she won't be in Thor. She she won't she be in Doctor Strange. Could Sp- be in. Well, first of all, no. She, Thor is too early. Like they already started photography. Yeah, well, yeah, for Thor, they they would have need to have casted yeah. her by now. But I think um, she could appear in Guardians of the Galaxy too. Mm. She could appear in uh, Black Panther because mm. like they the fact that they leave Bucky in Wakanda mm. suggests that like they could do something there if they mm. wanted to. I don't know what the, I mean, what she's the plan a good is. actress and yeah. if she's cast. I'm, good I'm for okay her. with that. Uh, more casting, casting news. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Just, just Dwayne Johnson, really. Um, is it? He has to be stopped calling. To oh, be called, did he? Well, in movies. Like, when he when he's wrestling, he's the, he's the Rock. And when he's acting, he's Dwayne Johnson. Okay, so Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne then. Johnson All right. has been cast as Doc Savage in mm. the upcoming Shane Black movie. Hmm. Now, uh, well, what's Shane, your take on Shane Black, I like. I just uh, recently saw his latest film, uh, The Nice Guys, which was great fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, excellent Excellent dialogues and action and, you know, acting all around. You know, good, good movie. Dwayne Johnson, I kind of like him. And, you know, he has this... He's not a great actor, but he has this fun charisma thing. Yeah. Which... He's a lot like Vin Diesel. Like this I, is someone I, I, who has fun with I, I, I like him more than Vin Diesel, I think. And Vin Diesel actually can be a better actor. Have you seen him in... Uh, what was the Mafia movie he did? Find Me Guilty. He was great in that. No, I haven't. So he actually has acting chops. He just chooses not to use them and just, you know, grow muscles instead. Which is fair. Yeah, he makes more money. He makes more money that way. Although, Um, you know, we're also talking here about, like, the voice of Groot and the voice mm -hmm. of the Iron Giant. So this Um, is a person who has made people cry. Physically, Johnson is as good as a casting for, you know, the bronze uh, Marvel, you know, that was the name. As you can, you know. He, he yeah. looks like he looks like a comic book character. Yeah, know, straight. And a lot have you of ever seen? Have you ever have of. you ever seen him cosplaying as the Hulk? Because he did it sometimes in Halloween. No. He just you know he puts a poster on Instagram and he him cosplaying is just he paints himself green and that's it. You know, no prosthetics, yeah. no Hulk hands. It's just oh, I'm Dwayne Johnson in green. Yes, you're. No, the Hulk. I mean, I, I've seen pictures of him in like the last uh, Fast and Furious. Yeah. This guy looks like a brick house. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you want him to be a superhero, now, I'm not sure Shane Black for Doc Savage because Shane Black doing pulp, it's not really his thing. The, well, what do we know about this film? Because like this was the first mm. I even heard that they were doing it. Well, they were, they've been talking about it for years, but you know whether it'll actually come out. Because before that, Shane Black is supposed to do Predator, a remake for Predator, which he wrote the original, so he, he's fine, a fine choice for it as hmm. anyone. I might be getting this mixed up I, with I fan casting, I, but was Dwayne Johnson also cast as Black Adam? Yeah, well, yeah. Was that a thing that happened? Or yeah, was yeah, yeah. They said they said it happens. I don't know what hap- what happens with the Captain Marvel slash Shazam movie. Right. Wow, if DC is trying to do... <clears throat> A Shazam movie and calling Captain Marvel against Marvel, they're like in a big heap of trouble. I mean, because look. in comic in comic books, DC 
Even though their Captain Marvel came first, well, they stole it from uh, who? Who did it? I think it was Atlas. No, not Atlas. Um, Fawcett. Yeah, Fawcett. They, you know, they literally sued the characters off Fawcett. Mm. You know, he came I... first, but because Marvel have the rights to the title of Captain Marvel, only they're allowed in comic books to publish something called Captain Marvel, and they have to always publish something called and Captain you know Marvel. What? This is going to be this. This is going to be a divisive comment. I'm aware of that, but like, let's let's put the facts on the table. Chris Hemsworth said in a recent interview, like they were asking him about the rivalry between mm. DC and Marvel, and he said, "Well, it's not really a rivalry, right? Like, we're winning." Factually speaking, he's not <laughs> wrong in terms of like film box profits. office and I mean, have critical you, appreciation. Have you seen that meme of like somebody took like a split screen, right, and mm. put Sad Af- Affleck with like 150 mil- 850 million dollars for BVS on the one hand, and Chris Hemsworth laughing his ass off uh, with like 900 million dollars in the first week for Civil War. So it's like there there is a, a schism here that you can't ignore. So and in fact, you remember. BVS was supposed to compete with, yeah, like it was supposed to come out on the same day as, they, Civil as War. Captain America. Civil yeah, War they game. wanted it to, to be like going head to head, and like no, you you really and DC moved it. No, I th- no, Captain yeah. America aired later, didn't it? Yeah, but it was supposed to be on the same day that DC moved it. Oh, early. DC moved it up. Yeah, so it's like don't play chicken with each other anymore. No, it, it doesn't. What now? Back, make any but, sense? You know, Doc Savage is not a DC movie. Yeah, and I'm not sure it'll work because all the more reason well, not we're to talking about him. As if he's a comic character, he's a pop character, and closer in spirit to something like uh, John Carter of Mars, which was a huge, huge oh, bomb. Oh, God. Woo! And it, it wasn't a terrible movie. It was okay-ish, but it was a huge bomb, and I think... I, I place the blame for that on Taylor Kitsch. Not only, you know, the director, and I don't like to blame that guy, but Michael Shaben's script was rough. Who rough. was that? Michael Shaben did the script. Michael Shaben did the script for well, John he, Carter? One of the scripts, I don't know. You know, they always do revision and stuff, but he has stuff there, and it's not a good movie. <laughs> wow. Well, don't forget, he also did dialogue for Spider-Man 2, so... I mean, look, Michael I, Shaben in movies... I'll not. admit that I know nothing about John Carter on account of I saw that trailer, and I was like, nope, not for me. Mm. And I was okay with that decision, and I sound like it... It sounds like I still would be. <laughs> yeah, it's not terrible. Um, it's just not very good. Um, but I think that... There, we're in this phase of Hollywood where they're like, well, what, what's popular and well-known? Like, Doc Savage. And nobody tells these 50, 60-year-old producers, nobody knows Doc Savage anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not necessarily no, a problem, though. No, the only so reintroduce them to a modern audience. Yeah, but they buy the property, and they produce the movie thinking Doc Savage is popular. Why was the John Carter movie produced? Because they've been trying to produce a John Carter movie since before Star Wars. This was one of the very first, you know, science fiction franchises, right? Mm. You know, series of novels, hugely popular. They've been trying to do this since the early days of cinema. And it's just, you know, when the time came, it was, nobody told them, well, it's too late now. It's 20, 2014 it came out, 2013. Yeah. You don't need to do that. We had Star Wars. John Carter is not necessary. And, uh, and Doc Savage I, is I like, wonder, though, we if... already had, Doc Savage is like, we already had Indiana Jones. We, don't, we don't need it. What In I'm fact, Disney though? is doing a new Indiana Jones, and if they're oh, trying to compete that with that, needs. well, yeah, but if they're trying to compete with that, Indiana Jones will win on name recognition only. I wonder whether that's true after the Crystal Skull, though. I think so. Because, like, there was such a gap between the third and fourth oh, films. Oh, yeah, 20 years. And then the fourth film, nobody is, like, holding it up as a paragon of what Indiana Jones I kinda, is. So it's like, I kind of like, 
you know, it's it's stupid, but you know, it has good action scenes. Civil Spiel- Steven Spielberg doing action scenes in the jungle. That's what he does best. Yeah. Almost does best. But, you know, you also had Shia LaBeouf running around. Uh, that's well, not something anybody sucks. wants to go back to. You know to. what? Shia LaBeouf, better than Short Round. Better than Short Round, be- better than Kate Capshaw. Fact. Who was that, Willie? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so the sidekicks in Temple of Doom. But then also, like, <laughs> no. But if you wanted to cancel that out, I mean, Sean Connery. Hmm. I mean, historically, well, or like John Reese Davies in the first one. Yeah, you know, historically, um, Indy tends to do well with sidekicks. Just like Temple I'm, of I'm just Ray. saying, Doc Savage. I'm not sure why, other than you I know, wonder. somebody, you know, his name come up in the character lottery. No, no, I think I have a theory on this. Okay, taking into account that Marvel are now currently very openly, I think, trying to reclaim the trademarks that they sold, mm-hmm. right? And they're not doing that anymore. They are not selling off characters to any other studio other yep. than themselves. DC, likewise. Warner Brothers is centralizing production of all of their superhero films. I can understand why, in order to compete with that, studios like Paramount or, or whoever, you know, like whoever's making these movies, would be looking towards properties that could fit into the superhero mold without being, like, licensed to whatever, because, I mean, John Carter doesn't really... Yeah, somebody's gonna buy up all of King Features and we're gonna get Defenders of the Earth movie. Why not? Speaking of Like, I understand the logic. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but, like, I can understand why they would be looking for the things that are not under the Big Two's control and also aren't new enough Mm. to not have that that historical cash, right? Speaking of Defenders of the Earth, that was a crossover I did there. Yeah. Unless you don't know Defenders of the Earth. Here which, we go. Which is most likely. Most people don't know Defenders of... Anyway, and with Sasha, good reason. Sasha Baron Cohen <sighs> has been cast... Well, he will. He cast himself. He will produce a movie about Mandrake the Magician. The 1930s King Features comic strip created by uh, Lee Falk about a guy named Mandrake who fights crime with, you know, hypnosis and levitation and his big African sidekick, Lothar. Uh-oh, they're not doing that, but, um... Well, the character, well... Because if you're talking, 19, I mean, I'm, I'm having 1930s, get, yeah. Okay, it was, so it, it we're was, back to Ebony, well, the cab driver. Well, it was horribly right? racist, but, you know, to be fair, he was actually portrayed as a hero, not just a sidekick. He was like, the strongest man in the world. Okay. African savage. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Well, um, maybe drop that part of the character when you're yeah, adapting yeah, it. Yeah. Although it is Sasha Brown Cohen, so I don't know how tasteful. That I I really, you know, I really liked Bor, but that movie aged like one year. One year after after he came out, I'm like I'm tired of that. Done. That's it. And then he did another one. Um, I don't even remember the the one that mocked gays. Yeah, that was it. The one that mocked gays. That was the name of the movie. Not Boris, something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. Boris and Boris. Well, and Natasha. Who cares? Like I'm, 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 I'm wasting brain cells trying to remember the names of Sasha Brown Cohen comedies. Please, comedies. I say you can't see me doing air quotes, but yeah, I am. He's been trying to, you know, cross over into a quote unquote serious actor for a while now. There was not this, Sasha Brown. There was Cohen. this Freddie Mercury movie that he was supposed to be in, and you know they cast him and they started production, and then he was like, "I'm Audi," and then Brian May's like, "Thank God you're Audi." Because Brian May would have been like, no, Freddie did not wear a mankini. You can't do that. No, he did not grab people's butts in the middle of a show. Now, no, he was now, not ignoring performing the, oral ignoring sex. Ignoring the fact like, that doing something like Mandrake in the post-Doctor Strange world is a huge mistake. Because <laughs> it's not fair. You know, Mandrake was there first, but, you know, now Doctor Strange will be the most publicly known version. Yeah. And, like, the... 
If they had gotten out ahead of this, mm-hmm. I would have been like, okay, maybe you could have like snatched some of the attention away. But like to do the, it after Doctor if Strange, they actually do it as a period piece, as a, like a 1930s daring do adventuring, maybe they can be distinct enough. This just feels like mm-hmm. it's going to be for comics what pixels were for video games. Well, it's like, eh. Come on, don't you don't you really like all the King feature comic book movies? Haven't you really enjoyed the 1996 Phantom version with Billy Zane? Oh, yeah, I was sitting there just... Isn't running. Flash Gordon one of the greatest science fiction movies ever? Liam Neeson's The Shadow? That's not King Features, though. Mm, but, you know, we had two King Feature movies. Again, yeah. Flash Gordon and Phantom. Wait, Flash Gordon was the Sam Jones one? Yeah. Oh well, listen. I'm that sorry. movie wasn't I, I know, good. I know. People say it has its charm. No, no, but no, no, These no. charms are lost on it, me. It's it's a charm that is entirely nostalgic. Like if you were to watch it today, you would claw your eyes out because it is so bad. But I I can't deny that. Like I at guess, least for Flash Gordon, people have some kind of nostalgic. Yeah, I guess for technically it. Popeye is a King feature strip. And not that, not the Robin Williams one. Well, the the comic like the, strip. So uh, comic you know, I'm trying to like build a bridge about the. Uh. King Features Cinematic Universe. Oh, no, no. I, I, That's not I, a thing I actually liked the Popeye movie. It was so strange, but it was a huge bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Financial I, and critical most of the time. I kind of liked it. It was so... It was weird. Yeah, it was so weird. Who did it? it uh, Robin was, Williams and... Uh, no, it was the director. It was like somebody really famous, right? Uh, The director of the Popeye movie? Yeah, it was like... Somebody really famous and inappropriate as hell. Robert Altman. Oh, yeah, yeah. my it's God. Like Robert Altman doing a musical comedy based on a comic strip with Robin Williams in the main role. Like, on the one hand, I can completely understand it's, it's, how it, that happens. It's David Lynch doing Dune level of strangeness. Right. I, wow. It's better than Dune. Most things that, that's are. Not, that, yeah, that's yeah. not really uh, much of an accomplishment. I like, I like it, but yeah. More Wait, when you say you like it, do you mean like the the Lynch film or the one that came after with like the... No, 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 I'm, I'm talking about the Popeye movies. Oh, I don't Pop-Up like movie. any Dune. The only Dune-related uh, cinema thing that I like is the Khodorovsky's Dune uh, yeah, documentary. Which would have been nice if that had happened. But on the other hand, it's also It would have like, been a huge disaster if it happened. Like, the execution would have been... Horror, horrific. Yeah, yeah. I wonder whether the movie would have been good. Well, we got a great documentary out of it, so, you know. Yeah. It works out in the end. Uh, anything else? Well, just a bit of... I want to pick your brain on something here. So, the Suicide Squad uh, mm-hmm. rating has officially come out as PG-13. Well, yeah. And there's been this discussion of what the s- potential significance of that is. Nothing. In the it's sense a major that, studio movie. Why would yes, it have been uh, Because PG-13? it's the Suicide Squad. You would ex- like you would expect a PG thirteen film starring the main approved heroes, right? Like you can't show Batman. See, <laughs> see I was gonna say you can't show Batman like uh, murdering a dude, murdering people, and yet, yeah, uh, we've seen that. And then I was gonna say, well, you can't show Superman like breaking some guy's neck, but then I'm like, oh wait. That happened too. So, uh, but you see where I'm going with this, right? Like the, the approved, iconic, uh, pantheonic I, characters, you don't want to show them doing like rated R stuff, right? Like uh, Gal Gadot I, will not have a topless scene in Wonder Woman. It's hopefully. not going to happen. But for the Suicide Squad specifically, because of like the, the way that it was being marketed and the way that it's being portrayed, and considering that these are... Criminals? First of all, they're criminals, but second of all, they're like, they're largely C-listers. Like, the fact that Harley Quinn is there, she's like the only person who people actually would know. Well, they will care about them, hopefully, after the movie. I'm sure, but like, look at the roster. We've got Enchantress, we've got Katana, we've got 
Black is Killer Sp- Croc in there? Yeah. Killer Croc is in there. Deadshot. Who Black maybe Spider. people know Deadshot? Yeah. But it's like, See, but these aren't characters a, who have you have you read John Ostrander's uh, Suicide Squad? Yes. So a it's it's it always was PG thirteen. Yeah, it was always PG thirteen, and the whole point of about them being third stringers at best. They didn't even have a Harley Quinn at the time. You know, the biggest character was Deadshot. Yeah. Uh, a Batman villain who at the time appeared three times. Uh, no, sorry. The biggest character was Captain Boomerang. Well, actually, no. If you want to be technical, the biggest character was Amanda Waller. But you know how I <laughs> love the wall, so yeah, never yeah, mind. Well, yeah. Captain. Oh, wait, how was Captain Boomerang the biggest character? Yeah, he was. He was the one with the most appearances before. Oh, the most history. Yeah. But I mean, even in the context of the Rogues Gallery for the Flash, he was. He was never... actually. You know, people knew Captain Boomerang Did as they? a as a joke, but they knew him. I get. I mean, I guess I can. I can understand mm. that. I, I, it's hard for me to think about a Suicide Squad without Captain Boomerang. <laughs> even the he Arrowverse was, version. Had no, Captain he, Boomerang. he was so great as like the not the bad guy, but the scummy guy. Yeah, he was like the conniving was, guy who was always going behind the, the goose back. Yeah, there was this great. Uh, and somehow she never killed him off. You no, know, and there was this great. Uh, I think two, three issue arc where he's. He's not supposed to do crimes because he worked yeah. for the government, so he's pretending to be Mirror Master to yeah. to do crimes. Which and because the, like the rogues are all friends, so he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna pop in, steal Mirror Master's equipment, and, and then the Suicide Squad bust him and like, well, Mirror Master, you're in the Suicide Squad, and where is Captain Boomerang? <laughs> and when he's like, and when he's pulling the strange you know, sitcom plot at the end, dual identities, and Amanda knew all along. And Amanda was like. Yeah, I, kn- I knew it all along. Where are Just want to see you twist in the wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, such a great series and absolute like that did work with PG-13. you can do it. it. They were in the damn you know Justice League cartoon. You can do a PG. Yeah, one of the best episodes of the cartoon, by the way. I had stopped watching by that point. Oh, it was great. You know. Okay, so you can do PG thirteen. There is nothing. There is nothing that needs to be dark and that you know. There are a bunch of criminal. It's the dirty dozen. You know. Right. Well, the Dirty Dozen was rated R? I think it might have been. Well, no, the only, time ratings were different. The so. issue wouldn't be, like, like sexual content. It would mm. be more, like, whether the violence is more constrained or expressive. How much blood can you show, right? Which, be- which again, like, because it's the Suicide Squad, I feel like maybe the, the more cartoonish yeah. kind of action scenes maybe wouldn't come across so well. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. Like, in the... The horrible direct-to-DVD animated show, um, Suicide Squad Assault on Arkham oh, or something, oh. which was horrible, but that had, like, that was a R- sex scene in it. That was... How was that not R-rated? I don't know. I don't know, but... Well, it wasn't... R for really stupid. It was R-rated. It wasn't R-rated because it was animated. But, yeah. like, you know, Harley had sex with... I think it was Deadshot? Yeah. And, and like, it was, people, it was graphic. And they murdered people by the... You know, buttload. Yeah, and uh, Killer Croc got his head yeah, blown off. Yeah, and so was, I, I, I get it on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, how was God and Monsters not R-rated? Oh, they, they murdered people and blood everywhere. The not only that, like in the preview clips that yeah. they were airing. So did you see the one for Wonder Woman? Yeah, like she rips off Steve Trevor's clothes and basically like sexually assaults him with his consent. But, like, she just, like, mauls him. And I'm like, wow, that was and, PG. And now that I think about it, you know, and they're boasting about uh, The Killing Joke being uh, R-rated, but The Killing Joke is For actually... what? Yeah, the Killing Joke is actually kind of tame compared to all, you know, the 
it's only imp- the implied stuff is horrible, but it's implied. You don't actually see the yeah. Joker and the mo- sexually assault Barbara Gordon. The thing that's freaking people out is that, like, in the context of the book itself, mm. if you're only looking at the book, there was never any explicit statement that he had assaulted her. You could have just actually, said that, like, ac- he, he yeah, photographed a, her and then ran it's off. It actually seems more appropriate. Not, not appropriate. It seems more likely in the comic book that he sexually assaulted Gordon of all people because Gordon is in the cage and um, painted and like he did things to me not only that but I'll be honest this could just be a personal mm. bias on my part it's very hard for me to conceive of the Joker as a character who uses sexual violence mm. I don't know where that comes from I don't know why that is because like Jack Nicholson's Joker for example was very creepy in that respect oh, yeah. But I, it's really hard for me to well, make because, that connection. Well, because of like for years the psychological violent absolutely because for decades in comics the psychological fixation was always as on Batman, right? If he wants to have sex with somebody, it's Batman. And there was even this bit in Arkham Asylum by yeah. Morrison about you know like he the grabs, jo- he's flirting. Yeah, the Joker, you know, Batman is all about repression, and therefore the Joker should be all about sexual liberty. It just seems so bizarre. Yeah, well, and. You know, like, even with Harley Quinn in the animated series, you never knew exactly what was going on, right? Well, you knew there was, vi- it was, you know, it was Violence. one of those, yeah, but ter- like, it was, ter- it was, was terrible. Was he sleeping with her? Oh, yes, obviously. I, it's, it's just kind of hard for me Would to make that Would you like jump. to ride your Harley Vroom Vroom, an actual line in the kids' yeah, cartoon? but, I don't know, maybe because of how Arlene... Um, Sorkin? Sorkin played Harley. I, I don't know. It, it, it's just a weird jump to make, and then to go from that to like the the fear is that the Killing Joke's rated R is because they're going to show him. Yeah, doing it. because they and need like, to expand the plot for. And like, nobody and, needs to see that though. Mm. Nobody on planet Earth needs to see. Barbara Alan Gordon. Moore said it was it was a bad idea. So you know, listen to him. He's the original writer. If people listen to Alan Moore. Half of the things that have happened so far in the industry would not have happened. But that's another story. TV news. Okay. So the Legion TV series has been officially picked up by FX. Wasn't it officially picked up like three times already? I think it, there was a pilot. But now uh, like it's the, the first season has been oh, greenlit. Okay. And I have some reservations. Here. Well, you had them before. But they've been going more into detail about like the supporting cast. And basically their approach is... We don't know what X-Men are. This is just a guy... We just bought the name Legion. Yeah, he has mutants and like stuff going on in his head. They're not even doing... From what I understood, they're not even doing some personalities. It's just like he hears voices and so it's, he's mentally So it's, it's one of those... We bought the rights and in the process of create of actually making the show, we became some divorced from the source material. That it might as well have been called uh, Jillian. Yeah, it could have been like... What's the Legion spelled backwards? Uh, Neugle. Neugle. You could have just called it Neugle. It would have been fine. You could have got, you could have, like, anything. Uh, anything Mr. Neugle, I've been expecting you. Like, it, it goes it, back to, I'm it, always it trying for, to. It worked for iZombie, to be fair, which is so ridiculously divorced from the source material, and it, I like it, it's a good show. That's fair. And, in a way, it's kind of better for it, because if you're one of those people who, care about Legion in the X-Men, seeing a semi-bastardized version would annoy you, but seeing a version which is basically just the name, but anything else is completely different, is like, oh yeah, it's just a different character. Because I think that's the reaction a lot of people had for Keanu Reeves Constantine, right? Because he had the name but and some plot points, but it was so different that 
You weren't like, oh, it, they destroyed your engine. It was just, no, it's a completely different guy, right? Mm. I mean, look. It's like, it's a John Constantine who lives in L.A. It's a but very on the different other hand, guy. Look at the Constantine TV show, though, that came like a decade I, I later. Read, I read or not. Uh, no, but I'm saying like at the height of the superhero mm. craze, right, they tried to do Constantine again with someone who looked the part, had the accent, was a lot more like John Constantine Hellblazer, and yet that didn't take off either. Like, that tells me that Something in the process of these specific adaptations misses whatever quality it is that made these characters popular in the first place. Like, I, I don't think that Legion, David Haller, has such a huge fan base oh, within no. X-Men fans. Like, this is a character who was for decades defined by the fact that he was in a coma and that Professor Xavier was the worst father ever, which we could have told you. Like Professor we, Xavier is a jerk. We knew that. You know, that was not a shock to find out that he, in addition to abandoning his adopted kids, he also abandoned his biological kids. So, you know, great. At this point, Marvel pretty much retconned Xavier into being the worst person in history. And not, and not yeah. understanding that at all. Yeah. Like, you know, that whole thing with the he's, Illuminati. Yeah, he still played as, like, you know, this sage-wise guy, but you retconned him into a terrible fodder, a guy who led a superhero team before the X-Men and let them get killed and then forget all about them. Yeah. You know... And, I mean, Mike Carey, I'll say this, like, Mike Carey's legacy run mm-hmm. did a great job of rehabilitating the character in the sense that, like, from his perspective, he says, he has this great line, like, my justification for everything that I did is that you're still alive. Like, you know, I ha- I did what I had to do be- to save you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the reader has to agree with that. But, like, at least that's a motivation that you can understand. You know? Okay. I just don't know. Like, they've been talking about all these original characters that they're going to throw in there. None of whom come from the books. None of whom have any existing relationships. So I'm like, okay, you're actually not trading on nostalgia or affection for the license at all like you're doing something completely original and slapping a name on it but the problem with that approach is that the fans will see through it in the first episode so i don't know like haven't people figured that out yet it just seems not just seems weird uh you have seen a movie i have seen a movie I had hoped that you would see the movie, too, so that we could compare notes. Well, but you could have paid me, but then I would take the money and, I don't know, buy I'm not ice that cream invested. I would buy ice cream. I get Well, listen, w- June has arrived. It is 50 degrees outside, so ice cream would definitely be the better choice. I have seen X-Men Apocalypse. Yes. Now, I'm not going to go too into detail on it because... Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's... It's great! No. It is frustrating to see how this franchise has really been screwed over almost as badly as the comics. To the extent where, like, I'm watching this movie, right? And I'm a big X-Men fan. And I don't read the X-Men comics anymore, so I gotta get it from somewhere. Mm. So I went to this movie, and I enjoyed Days of Future Past. I will go on record as saying that the Rogue Cut is a lot better a lot better. Um, but never mind that. So I went in to see Apocalypse and I'm like, okay, this is Brian Singer's swan song. Uh, these are the characters that he has been building up again and, and maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work. And the casting has been good, right? Uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed James McAvoy very much. He's no Patrick Stewart, but he's close enough. 
Michael Fassbender has been doing a great job as Magneto. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is there and <laughs> present and, and, and she walks. Wa- she wants to be there, she, obviously. She is very... She's not at all forced by contracts to do a role. She is known what to do and hates the makeup so mm. much. I mean, look, I don't presume to know what she's thinking, but I can tell from her acting that... And you know what really frustrates me? This could have been a character bit. Like, you could have just said Mystique is so burnt out as a character because she has seen all of this nonsense going on. Mm. And make that, like, part of her story. Not so much. Um, so, but the problem with this movie is that it is just... It has diverged so much from any kind of recognizable aspect of anything tangentially related to the X-Men. That, like, these are just a bunch of characters that Brian Singer has thrown into a film and hit the blender button. Like, that's that's what it felt like seeing this movie. Oscar Isaac, okay, is playing Apocalypse. And I guess, like, it makes sense to have an Apocalypse movie because, like, you know, when you think the, the three biggest villains in the X-Men franchise are Magneto, Dark Phoenix, and Apocalypse. Like, that, that's Chuck the Austin. top tiers. Chuck Austin was the most destructive villain in the X-Men comics, but that's a different story. World will live, world will die. And someone will get a body made out of urine. In any event. Chuck Austin jokes will never stop being funny. No, they will not. Not as funny as his comics, but... Howard Mackey jokes? Howard Mackey? I mean, Howard Chaykin just had a new comic coming out, and I'm like, I want to read it so bad because (laughs) I'm going to laugh my ass off. Howard Chaykin is often bad because, you know... God bless him. He tries to do something unique and interesting, and yeah, just and fails. And Chuck Austin and Howard Mackey are just like, no, you're just not good writers. I don't know. I, I assume that like Chuck Austin was trying really, really hard when he came up with that story that made Paul was he, O'Brien break out into was he Shakespearean doing, couplets. Was he doing the elves bit, the uh, Pope uh, Nightcrawler yeah. as a po- oh yeah, the Nightcrawler Pope story with the disintegrating wafers? <laughs> that was him. Uh, he also did the one where um, werewolves. Oh, yeah. corporate werewolves. No, 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 no. The werewolves were Jeff Loeb. No, actually. No, 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 no. no. Okay, I'm not there talking were two about werewolves. The yeah. corporate werewolves. The corporate werewolves were Which Austin. sounds like a Warren Ellis comic, right? Corporate werewolves of London. It was not a an Ellis book at all. <laughs> but uh, then there were the other werewolves, and then uh, when Chuck Austin wrote, wrote Exiles, all the werewolves came together. It was a whole thing. But anyway, uh, back to Apocalypse. So, let me just say this. Casting-wise... Some bright spots, some not so bright spots. Evan Peters did a good job as Quicksilver again, okay, which was to be expected. You know, he 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 nailed that role. Was he again in the plot time. for like two minutes and then disappeared? No, no, he actually stuck around the whole time. Mm-hmm. And they managed to like find a counter to his super speed at some point. Mm. Okay, so at least that. Um, but the big news, I think, was the introduction of the three main characters from the first X Men film as kids. So we have Ty Sheridan as Scott Summers. We have uh, Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones as Jean Grey and Alexandra Ship as Storm. You might know them as the people standing next to Wolverine in the first two X-Men movies. Uh, yeah. And then disappearing in the third X-Men movie and then... Coming back now. Uh, yeah. Okay, well... so It's th- X-Men babies! It's, it's so frustrating because on the one hand, absolutely one of the things that you would have come away from the 
first X-Men trilogy feeling was that these characters deserve better. I mean, so much has been said about Halle Berry's utter failure as Storm, right? Mm-hmm. This was a character who, you know, based on her legacy, based on who she is in the X-Men to this day, deserved a much better performance than what people actually got on screen. So the idea of let's do Storm again is tempting, right? Famke Jensen, I don't have any real problems with her, but it would be an exaggeration to say that she acted the you know, acted her shoes off in this movie. Like, mm. she was not that she interesting. She was, in fact, wearing shoes throughout the whole movies. Right. So, you know, th- there's that. C- Cyclops, again, like, James Mar- Marsden looked the part. He had, like, that whole square jaw thing going on, but not a great actor. Not the kind of person who is makes he, you care. Is he the guy that's always been cast as the nice guy who gets his girlfriend stolen by the much cooler guy? Because he was the boyfriend in Superman Returns, right? Yes. He's also the singing prince in Enchanted. That's that his, might be where he got, yeah. oh, But in Enchanted, he gets to run away with Adina Menzel. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's the thing. This poor guy, he's always been cast as, you know, nice guy, but your girlfriend is going to the main star. Uh, I, I've seen... like I've Literally seen, in X-Men 3, literally dying so Wolverine can have a shot at Jean Grey. What a Which he doesn't! What, what a he, terrible movie that was. He doesn't even get to have sex. That's just... Anyway. Oh God. So, like, the idea of recasting, like, doing their stories again, mm. potentially better, is one that's appealing. And I will say that, like, these three actors... See, and that's why I didn't... They were okay. They that, were better. That, that's why I didn't went to see... The, well, one of the reasons I didn't went to see movie. I don't need to see it again. I don't... You know, it was done. It was bad. Okay. I know you want to fix it, Brian Singer, because you try to fix Superman with... By doing Superman Returns and fixing Superman 3 and 4. Don't. You Good impulse, though. No, 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 no. Good no. impulse. Because, no. like, look, Superman 3 and 4... But you don't need to fix them. If you want to if you want to solve the problem, go forward. Invent new characters. There's one trillion billion X-Men. We don't need to see Wolverine again. We don't need to see Cyclops again. This franchise, cinematic franchise, is 16 years old by yeah, now. Yeah, and it shows. That was like there my were, main problem you know, with this movie. Kids watching this movie right now weren't even born when New Jackman first done uh, the black spandex or whatever. Yeah. The black leather Leather thing, uniforms. Whatever. You you don't need to... That's the problem with this franchise. Like, it's it's a great fit for the comics because it stocks in revisionism. It never goes yeah. anywhere. It keeps circling back to the same characters. You remember and when Claremont has also failed to evolve with the rest of the genre. When Claremont it. introduced the new mutants, and you know the point was, one day these characters will be the X Men, and the old X Men will retire. No, That's intention. what he wanted to do, but nope. He wrote out Cyclops. Yeah, I mean, people don't even remember this, but like at the end of the first Madeline Pryor story, you know, he marries her and he leaves the team. He has a there happy was ending. a whole run where like Cyclops was not part of the story, and then you know, comics being comics, they had to bring him back in. <sighs> So, stop! This is a... In the name of love, stop! But the problem with the Singer movies specifically isn't just that they are, like, lapsing into the same problems as the X-Men comics. It's that, you know, from 2000... When you were doing superhero films in 2000, yes. The the conventional knowledge was that you had to have a certain lack of reverence for the source material, and you had to have a certain grounded sensibility and aesthetic for people not to laugh at it, right? Like, you had to... It well, had to yeah, be perceived in a the certain way. The effects weren't there to make a man in a yellow spandex look good. Even if they had been there, though, I like think of what was the standard at the time. Like, what were people expecting? This would have been after Batman and Robin. Yeah. So, like, the idea of maybe scaling back and scaling down 
wasn't necessarily a bad idea at the time, it but was, for Sigma to still be doing that now... Yeah, it was following the Polo Brand point that the X-Men as a franchise, as an idea, does want to be a superhero story. It's a science fiction, you know, it's a science fiction concept about humanity changing and evolving. That was what Grant Morrison doing in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. He wasn't completely cutting off the superhero beat, but he was basically, you know, saying, well... It, it's been done, you know. They've been doing the superhero stuff. Let's see what we can do if we sort of do its own thing and take the conclusion to its nth degree. And it worked. And I really like the first two Stinger movies. You know, saying, well, they're not as fun and as colorful as the Marvel movies. Well, yeah, but... No, but the they're second their one own, still holds up. They're really their own well. thing. Yeah, they're yeah. their own you thing. You have some great performances there, and you do have, like, new generation characters, because, like, the second movie is the one where Iceman, Pyro, Pyro, and Rogue really step up. Yeah. Right? You have this whole other thing going on. So, here we are 16, late, 16 years later. Characters who you would think would be important die off screen and are never mentioned again or just recast again I'm going to spoil something small here okay, okay? so uh, Havoc Havoc uh, unleashes this blast that accidentally blows up the entire mansion Quicksilver runs in and like saves everyone it's this fantastic uh, scene very okay. similar to the the one that he did in Days of Future Past okay. except this time it's set to uh, Eurythmics Sweet Dreams okay look it up it's, it's a fantastic scene in any event Quicksilver saves everyone. Then Cyclops shows up. He's like, where's my brother? And it's like, Alex was too close to the blast. Wasn't he doing the blast? Yes. Like, he was too close to the explosion. Uh, I couldn't find him. No, he's dead. And like, the, uh, again, like this is the, the differentiation oh between the, the actors and the story around them. Because like Ty Sheridan sells Scott's grief in that moment. But at the other hand, it's like, you just killed off a character that you introduced in first class as, like, one of the founding members of the X-Men in that storyline, right? It's like, the second movie, the second X-Men movie spends one-third of its run about Nightcrawler, and then the third movie comes, and he's like, who's Nightcrawler again? Yeah. Nightcrawler left because he didn't like that the X-Men I, I, were violent. The stupidest huh? scene in X-Men... And meanwhile, this new Nightcrawler was really good. The stupidest scene in X-Men First Class was introducing Darwin, saying... He has the power uh-huh. to survive any, everything. Except And not. then the bad guy comes and like, can you survive this? It's like, Apparently no. Here's an energy ping pong ball. Choke on that. That's his... You literally introduced him as the guy who can survive anything and then you kill him off. Yeah. Kill off one and of then, the other guys. Uh, like, most of Magneto's... Like, they killed Emma Frost off screen. Yeah. Emma Frost? You kill... I mean, I'm not saying that January Jones' performance in First Class was good. It was not. But, I mean, Emma Frost? You just... D- characters disappear, and then they just recast. Banshee disappears out of nowhere. Nobody ever talks about him again. Mm. It, it, it's like... And part of that has to do with, like, Singer coming back and playing up his favorites again. But on the other hand, even when he makes it, the decision this to have a better actress play Storm... Storm has maybe eight lines in the movie. I'm sorry. At this point, looks like Singer is fanficking his own X Men universe. It's like, it's yeah. not. A, it's not about what would make sense, you know, story wise, or what would make a good movie. It's about what characters do, characters do I want to see? How can I fix the ideas that other people did with yeah. these movies when I wasn't here? And stop. Replace Very Singer. Strange. You know, replace Singer. You know, he can do. I don't know. Ep pupil two. The revenging. I don't even. I mean, look. I, I don't want to. The lay unusual this, suspect. I don't want to lay this blame on like on Jennifer Lawrence specifically, but like I don't even recognize Mystique as Mystique anymore. Hmm. Like she, 
she plays a hero's role in this film. She's like the leader of the X-Men. And I'm like, I, I don't understand... Who's the biggest star in our why, cast? Why, though? Why? But even if she is the biggest star, she's playing Mystique. Mystique has never... I mean, first of all, she's never led an X-Men team to my memory. Second of all, the only run I can think of where she was a member of the team was the Carrie run. And then the whole point of her being on that team was that she was a double agent. You cannot trust Mystique. And it's like, this character is like training the new X-Men to fight. And she's going to lead them against Apocalypse. And it's like, "But, but I don't even... First of all, what does that have to do with Mystique at all? Like, there's no... Nightcrawler is in this film. I don't know if she's supposed to be his mother. God, but, I like, hope not. But like, it, it just does not make any kind of sense. And, and I, like, I don't know what to do with it anymore. It, it's a film that is operating on the same concepts and, like, the same... Uh, understanding of like what the framework of a superhero film needs to be that is it's just outdated right like the marvel films have already it's, proven it's beyond the doubt that you don't need to do it like that year anymore. old franchise let it rest that's it you know not all franchises need to live forever not everything needs to be james bond no and even james bond reboots every every 10 years or so it's the, the difficulty here is precisely because there's no it's not like we can get solid X-Men stories elsewhere. The comics are terrible right now. Sterilization, I don't even know what's going on because of this whole Inhumans thing, right? So, that's gone. Look, The you films have, are like How many years of X-Men story have you had at this point? 50 years? Me, me personally? I, I haven't so, read all of In it. general, how many? They've the been around. around since the 1960s. Yeah. So, you know what? I'd say there's enough X-Men. Really? There, there's enough X-Men. You don't really need... You can have more X-Men. You don't really need to. But under that it's logic, like when Mar- you would shut down all of Marvel and DC, sure. though. Not you don't need to shut down. That, you can but... certainly replace most of these characters and titles with newer characters and titles. That doesn't like, work, though. Well, it could we work. We know that doesn't work. No. Well, it could. It, it doesn't because they don't like, want it to, but it could. No, like, perfect example. Um, just, like, apropos of, like, re- replacing mm-hmm. new characters. So you... Rem- there was uh, part of the reboot issue... Yeah, so you read Rebo- Rebirth, right? Rebirth, Reboot. Rebirth, whatever. Um, Aqualad, or Tempest, or whatever he's called, appears. This is the one from Teen Titans, right? The one from the Young Justice Jack, TV show. Uh, Young Justice, that, yeah. that's what I was going for. Like, the Young so Justice TV show, show is closer to the comics of the Teen Titans, and the Teen Titans TV show... And is- he, like, in this rebirthed version, is gay, right? Yes. Now... I didn't even remember this until I, I read it on like some uh, website that compared it. There, what happened to Bunker from Teen Titans, who was the Latino gay character that they introduced? Well, they can have more than one gay character, Sean. except that this one has disappeared. <laughs> That's the point. They can theoretically have more than one, but that seems well, like there's two, always they have two Wally Wests now. Mm-hmm. They're they're gonna get rid of the black well no one. because one of them is gonna I mean, be in Teen Titans one of them is gonna be in Justice League. we'll see how long that lasts yeah but, you know so it's like yes in theory you can introduce new characters but look at how frequently that fails like they went and reintroduced a new uh, version of Aqualad who has been rewritten to fill the role of a character who has disappeared and who DC trumpeted as like look at our diversity right. Because that never works for them. Every time they're like, look at our diversity, this character is gone after like 
and nobody knows why, nobody knows where. Well, because Jeff where Jones, are like the big Jeff Johns likes stories? to killing to kill people. Like okay. fi- fictional people, I don't blame Jeff fictional Johns. people. Sure, you Hopefully, must. listen. If I was in charge of the entire universe, I imagine now Jeff Johns, you know, just hanging around the streets of LA with a mace and you no, know, breaking people. I I get it. Like Jeff Johns, like he's doing his taxes, right? And he's getting frustrated. He's getting angry, and it's like you could go downstairs and like punch a bag for a while, but it's like I'm gonna kill some fictional character. Who's up for the chopping block, Mister America? Let me rip Mister America's arm off now. I feel okay. Now I'm good. And and then someone goes really? to him and is like, Jeff, uh, um, your air conditioner broke down. It's like, mother... F-. And then he just goes and like kills up another character. You know, poor risk. Jeff Jones tore both his arms off. <laughs> one year after another. That was, you know, in Infinite uh, Infinite Crisis, you know, Superboy rips Risk's arms off. And I'm like, oh, that's a strange character because nobody cares about Risk very much. And then like two years later, uh, Blackest Night, somebody else rips Risk's other arm off. And I'm like, oh my... It's why? like, that was my robotic arm, you bastard. And you ripped it off too. I don't know. It's, it's Is Risk still alive? <laughs> How many limbs does he have left? Oh, Liz, we probably got like tentacles or something. You never know with them. But, like, I, the, the, what do you, what do you do with the X-Men? Like, what again, are we going to do with all these X-Men? And there's this nice home in, in this little valley. You don't know it. You can't go there, but it'll be there. It'll rest. You know, the X-Men franchise will run around. You can't, you can't go visit. It's a nice farm. It's a nice I, farm. I guess. It's, like, this is gone, and now they're saying, like, they want to do another one in the 90s, but Brian Singer won't be involved. And I'm like, okay. And all the characters will still be the same age, because at this point, their version of Professor Xavier is, like, it started in his 30s, so he should be in his 60s. Well, McAvoy is going to probably, you know... What, they're going to make him up? To they shaved his head for this one, I'm Ooh, assuming. Shaving his head. No, you know, so add a couple of wrinkle lines. Uh, it it can be done. Like there are ways to do it, but there needs to be some kind of awakening on the part of this film franchise if it's going to. Pres- no, I no, don't no, agree, no, 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 no. There needs to be sleeping. Needs, no, yes. I, I don't agree with you because listen, we're clearly not at the point of superhero saturation yet, right? Uh, the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe has been going on since 2008. It's not showing any signs of stopping or slowing down. And the stories have been, like, it comes down to how you execute it. The fact that they exist does not immediately say, no, they need to be put to bed because they're 16 years old. Get, I mean, First Class came in the middle of all that and was a breath of fresh air. But it was a breath of fresh air because it was somebody coming in and doing things differently. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that movie was flawless. God knows it was not. But at least it was something that was trying to be a little more colorful, havoc, powers manifested as hula hoops. <laughs> you remember that, right? Yeah. He's like doing the whole hula hoop thing, which is appropriate for the 1960s. Fine. But maybe like freed from Singer's very, very tunnel vision perspective, we can do new well, things. They're not going to put the franchise to rest because Deadpool is super successful and that's part of the X-Men line. Is it? <laughs> Well, yeah, the, that, you had two X-Men there. Yeah, but, I mean, they, they could have been... At, at this point, they can spin off, you know, uh, Colossus and T- Negasonic Teenage Warrior into their <laughs> own movies. I would watch that And, movie. you know, it would get more viewers than the X-Men movies because Deadpool is just that big right now. Yeah, and but, like, Deadpool is also a perfect example of, like, look at how different the, that movie mm. feels from a typical X-Men movie, oh, right? yeah. So, that's the answer. You have to be more mm. creative and, and more elastic with how you approach this franchise. It can't be the same old, you know, 
Gene, use your powers. I swear to God, the the whole there's a scene at the very end where like Xavier spends like a good twenty minutes screaming at her like Gene, unleash your power. Gene, use your power. And I swear to God, I remember like the the Fox cartoon where it was like Gene, Gene. Jean, and then she would faint after picking up a cup. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, that was just like. Well, it's it's the plot of any uh, telepath in a TV show or movie to like, I sense a great a great evil coming. Ugh. Uh, uh, you remember the Martian Manhunter in the Justice League cartoon? Always, yeah. he was always he's always I will probe. I the villain. sense such evil. Oh. I'll, probe the, I'll probe the villain's mind and. And Carl Lumbly had like this deep voice of was like. <laughs> It's true. And at, some, at a certain point, he probably just said, you know, I'm not going to do the uh thing. Just take one of the, my previous uh Yeah, just like, cut it back in, because it's the same yeah. thing every time. Loop it in. Uh, reviews? Reviews. Where'd you like to start? Uh, Copra. Let's go with Copra. Copra. Uh, we're talking about Copra versus number one, written, drawn, and probably stapled by um, the man, Michel Fief. Uh, Copra versus is a six-issue miniseries. Uh, filling in backstories of supporting characters and villain characters from Thief's own uh, Copra series, which, in case you haven't read it, it's like Suicide Squad, the 1980s Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. We just talked about it for the DYI alt comics generation. Comics with an X. I can X. see that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so this first issue is used to explore the history of Dai Dai. Isn't it Didi? Didi, I don't know. It's with a Y. It's like no. The reason that, I'm thinking because uh, I I was sure that that was like you know Didi, get out of my laboratory. It's possible. Uh, well, the, the the apparently the original name was Dion, so Dion. 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 So I thought Die Die, but anyway, oh. it, it's sort of a Die Die would also be a good yeah. name for a supervillain. Like yeah. Die Die. So it explores her transformation from uh, this fashion designer living in an alternative universe Earth, which is under. Fascistic control of some sort. Is that what it is? Yes. Oh and, my god! Her, it's like her slow transformation from uh, a woman with a strange skin condition who wants to do good to a tyrannical, world-dominating, uh, supervilling thing. Not, not brain in a jar. Yeah, mother brain. Mother, oh, yeah. ma- mother brain from the Captain N TV show, not from the, well, not from the actual games. It could be from the yeah. actual games too. She okay. kind of looked like that. So, Sean, thoughts. Uh, why don't you start because you're more familiar with Copra uh, than I am. Uh, well, yeah, uh, I I've read the Thirst Free arcs for Copra, but it's been a while since I've read uh, Dai Dai's arc, which was in the first two trades. Mm-hmm. Issues eight and nine are pointed in the actual back matter of the issue. Is like if you want to read more about Dai Dai, you know she's right there. So it kind of I've kind of felt like to get it more, it's I needed to probably read them again. But even as it is. This is one hell of an impressive comics. First, on a craft level alone. Now, Michel Fiff has always been a great, you know, artist. Not only in the sense of, you know, knowing what he's doing, but having such a personality to his craft. You know a Michel Fiff comic when you see it. You know oh, I mean? yeah. Nothing else comes close. And what he's doing here, he sort of put himself to a test because the whole issue is presented in a very rigid six-panel grid per yep. page. And the idea is that we're following her transformation over years. Because sometimes there's like a few minutes between each panel, and sometimes they're like months and months, and there's never any outside clue. It's only from, you know... Yeah, it jumps points, around. Yeah, from points of conversation and people mentioning stuff. And everything's presented like from a sideways glance, like uh, what the, the episode of M.A.S.H. Yeah. that you saw over a whole year, you know, from bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. From the work alone, it 
very impressive. And I really like the first half of it on the strength of the character work because uh, Dion's transform slow transformation and she's basically forced by this corrupt general to be his mistress and to abandon everything is she an alternate universe Nazi because I got hella Nazi vibes here yeah, yeah yeah I think so because this all takes place in alternate universe earth as far as I remember the plot to to the first two arcs of Copra okay and so it's like she he's basically forces her to be his mistress and she has to abandon her works and yet she has to abandon her well, more, more that she chooses to well, I, my my feeling is that he forces her like well because they're just you know horrible thing if you know bullies come to her house and like well you could come to to a dinner with the general or you can you know or we can beat up your husband till mm. he till he's dead okay so the the first half character wise is as amazing as the craft wise the problem and it's not a big problem but it is a problem is that by the second half of the issue it feels to me like they're jumping into feeling plots regarding what happened between issues of Copra because mm. they explain instead of explaining Dai Dai they explain the backstory of Rex who's the dimensional traveler who comes from Earth uh, whatever world they're inhabiting to the actual Earth in which Copra takes place mm-hmm so that's my thing. It's like, it's um, close to being great, yeah. but I felt like, A, either I need more context, like, I maybe if I read it, but, you know, giving homework to your readers is never a smart idea, mm-hmm. or B, if you only, if you cut back on the Rex bit and expand more time over Dida, because her part is amazing. I'll admit that I, my experience with Copra was slightly different in that I read the first six mm-hmm. issues a couple of times, and... It never really grabbed me. I liked a lot of uh, Fifth's artwork. I think he's a tremendous artist. Oh, yeah, the things he does here um, with color pencils and, you know... It's phenomenal. It's it's so raw-looking. And it suits the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the series itself didn't really grab me because... I did sort of get lost at some point. They're, mm. they're talking about, like, they're looking for this artifact, and people are talking in, like, like icons it's, and emojis. S- since it's a take on, you know, on Suicide Squad, they basically uh, create a whole, you know, fictional superhero universe in the background of it, and it's like... Yeah. But the, it sort of assumes that you roll with it instead of... The, the problem there mm-hmm. is that, like, the reason that Suicide Squad worked in the first place is because every single member of that team was a character who had existed previously. So if you went into this book blind, you would sort of know, like, like you said, you know who Captain Boomerang is, you sort of know who Deadshot is, you know who Enchanter, like, these are characters who had already existed. When he tries to do it in Copra, I was, like, at some point, I think at, like, issue three or four, I started getting confused between, like, the individual members, like, who is who here? Because he never really goes into, like, deeper explanation of who these characters are. So, in I, comes this book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this issue. So, I started, and I absolutely agree with you that, like, the first half of the story, up to the point where Dee Dee becomes a supervillain, and I'm just going to call her Dee Dee because, like, okay. the association is so strong there. Um, and she does look like something that could have come out of Dexter's lab. Um that story is just like so poignant and so tragic and so well written and so well drawn how she makes this choice to become this military fascist uh, comfort woman. She thinks she's sending her husband away and that she'll join him eventually. And then she sort of falls into the routine of being, you know, a comfort woman who is enjoying it's about certain the ru- privileges. It's about the routine of evil, right? It's like, I'm yeah. not I'm not being evil, I'm, I'm trying to do good, and you get used to it. Yeah, and then, point. of course, she has that moment of discovering, first of all, 
what has actually been happening all this time. Mm-hmm. She's been deluding herself, and then her powers manifest, which and appear I, I, to be some kind of shape-shifting? Uh, it's, you know, it's strange energy thing. I really like the fact that they don't bother to explain it, because you don't need to. No. There's something going on there. She doesn't know it, but at the cer- her, you know, point of transformation is when she stops suppressing it and saying, yeah. I don't need to hide what I am. Exactly. I'm going to show you what I am. Yeah. It's such it's a powerful a, moment. And really, like, up until that point, it could have been a story on its own. It could mm. have been a one-shot that had nothing to do with any other ongoing series, just, like, its own mm. thing. And that would have been great. Afterwards, though, like, once you get into the genesis of Didi as a, as a supervillain, like, as the brain in the jar with the two eye decals that make yeah. her look... I just, like, completely lost the plot. Like, she gets thrown into this dimensional portal that's no, clearly a riff on the negative zone. They they build this helmet, which is... She hires somebody to build a helmet, which is meant to be, like, the ultimate weapon to help her conquer the rest of the world. Like, I don't know how, what but, that is. I don't know how that works. Yeah, but, th- but the guy instead, you know, rec- uh, they th- she decides that the helmet doesn't work and they throw it away, but then he decides to recruit some guy who he knew... To find the helmet, and this guy will eventually comes to the regular Earth and Copra. But this and is Rax. Yeah. Okay. Th- their version of the uh, uh, what was Shade, mm. because in the original Suicide Squad, Shade was a member for quite a long stretch. Yeah. Deadpool's Shade, not Milligan's Shade. Yeah. Oh, I should hope not. Um, yeah. So like, I, I sort and of yeah, and le- it's it's one of those unless you've read it and you've remembered everything, you'd get lost because I've read it and I remembered most things and I was still like a bit. Who was that guy yeah. again? Which to be, Why was I mean, doing? it's fair enough if you're trying to lure people into your universe because Copra is on Comicsology, it's accessible, mm-hmm. you know, it's all there. But like speaking as someone who doesn't know this context, I'm like, okay, you really had this good thing going with this character, right? Her whole story, mm-hmm. Dion's whole plotline up until the point where it just sort of starts tying into ongoing plot lines about it's like mean. it's 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 18 pages of an of an amazing comics and then another 8 pages of a, a good looking but a bit muddled story yeah but you know what it's for me it's a quibble maybe because i know it because it i know what be. they're going for so if you're a copra fan already you know it's a got to and yeah. it really shows that thief is Way out there in a league of his own, it's. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm thinking, you know, you know, 1980s Frank Miller in terms of craftsmanship, in terms of you know understanding how the page works and what you can do with with a comic page instead of just throwing you know another you know two page splash whatever. No, no, no. This is what you can do with this art, you know. And everybody else in comparison, like some of the other comics that we'll talk about quite soon, are just can't compare. Yeah, that's, so, that's uh, not it. if Copra? you're not a Copra fan, I'd say. Like, well, if you're not it, a Copra fan, you're wrong, and you should be a Copra no, fan, no, Sean. You, you know, you're you wrong. Can, you can be not you're, a Copra fan for reasons, for creative decisions that fit. Why, why do you hate Copras? What you got against ha- Copras? I don't hate Copra. I just don't understand. I still don't know it. what a Copra is. Uh, they haven't. I th- I'm assuming it's, it's like an anagram for something, isn't it? I don't know. Well, whatever. Crush operation. Crush operation. Restore. Power. Power restore alliance. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Uh, uh, the revisionist number one. The revisionist number one. This is by Frank Barbieri and Gary Brown from Aftershock. Yeah, it's the second Aftershock comics we review. Why not? Uh, why not? Indeed. So, the premise here is uh, we have a character who is a prisoner, right? We yeah. 
Dooming Martin Ga- Monroe. Martin Monroe. Nice alliteration there. Alliteration name always, always works. Always a sign of greatness. Yeah. Uh, he is nearing parole, having turned state's evidence against other prisoners. And, and being basically a prison rat. You know? A prison rat, yeah. A snitch. Uh, he receives a package, a mysterious package, with some kind of psychic recording from his father, who he hasn't seen. And a strange father, yes. Uh, in, in Another decades. classic trope. Someone he hates so much that he throws the box immediately into the garbage, despite the fact that the message tells him that, you know, I'm sending you this in message one day you will from die. the future. Yes. And you need to do this, this, and that in order to escape. Okay. Uh, circumstances conspire for him to eventually attempt the prison escape that his father had predicted he would attempt. And we have, like, within this framework, also, at the very beginning, a sign that, like, in the future... A he couple will, pages of him being yeah, in the future... He will be some kind of time-traveling assassin... T- fixer. Uh, working because, to fix the timeline. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Not the most original premise. No, and not really the Quantum best. Quantum Leap, if, like, in order to leap, he had to actually kill Well, people. fixing the time... I'm thinking of the old uh, Cartoon Network TV show, The Time Squad... Without the comedy. Oh, well, then it wouldn't really be the Time Squad. No, 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 without the comedy. It would be pretty much the 1990s TV show, The Um, Time Squad. It wasn't funny. Part of the problem, I think, is... And this is something that happens a lot with Barbieri. He... To get to the satisfying parts of the story, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief when it comes to the connective tissue between these moments. Like, what do I mean for that? What instigates the prison attempt, you know, the, the escape attempt, is that a guy who wants to kill him walks into the prison, sits down at a desk, murders a police officer in I, I broad ass- view. I assume he's a corrupt warden trustee or something. I don't think so, because they're referring to him as someone who can walk in and out of the prison at will. So I assume he's like a corrupt official, and he was working with the prisoners. I, I don't the, know, because they never say no, that he's a warden. Uh, well, they never say that he's in a position of power, because like the the main character is shocked that he's there, not that he's mm-hmm. like, um, I'm, what are you doing with that gun? It's like, why are you sitting there? The particulars wasn't the problem for me. For me, there were two problems. Mm-hmm. A, like you said, it, it's been done, and if you're going to do something that's been done, be original, at least in the approach, and that'd just, be nice. It's just regular old, you know, time fixer comic booky. And B, I don't feel there's any... In order for the end of the issue to work, in order for you to want to come back for issue two, you need to have something more concrete than, would you like to know how this character came from point A, that is the present version Escaping from Prison, to point B being a time fixer? Mm. And I don't care. Because you didn't make any... You know he's a nice he's a nice guy and that's it and that's all there is. Like, yeah, he, he's a good-looking nice guy. He's a, he has this flirtation relation flirtatious relationship with the corrections officer that he's been informing with. So, but that doesn't tell us anything about him. And of course, he has daddy issues. Yeah, like okay, that, that's all you've got. And, and it's sort of like Barbieri thinks that simply by creating the mystery of you know how he came from A to B, I would care, but I don't because the mystery isn't that interesting. You know, he jumped and he came into a time portal. more... Yeah, he spends... I think that like there's mm. a pacing issue here. He spends way too much time in the prison 
before the premise of the series actually gets started. Well, like, the premise doesn't actually start. N- no, like we begin with him killing someone in the future for the sake of changing history or protecting the history. past to protect the future or no, whatever. No, I'm just, I'm just, spot, I'm just spotting movie, you know, lineups, right. um, enforcing the timeline, so, stopping the time. Well, we don't know what. Bend them to electric boogaloo. I see. That's what I don't think is going because, like, this is called the revisionist. Mm. The assumption is that he's not protecting the timeline. He's, he's making, creating a better one. He's making specific changes, and like, there's a lot that you could do with that in terms of like, how do you pinpoint like a, a specific action? That will lead and cause an effect to the mm-hmm. timeline that you want. Yeah, but he doesn't make the effort. Yeah, to make I, the, but then the like we immediately shift over to this this prison thing yeah. that just goes on and on and on and on and on and has like no original material. Goes completely over the top with the villain. Like, why did you need to? Like, he shoots the corrections mm-hmm. officer in the head. In the like, you just committed murder in a prison. That does not make any kind of like is it's the kind of over the top scenario that you can't help being like no that that stretches mm. credibility too For far. For me, that's not a problem because I assume he was a corrupt warden officer. Even if you were a corrupt warden, though, you're not stupid enough to murder one of your you own. Know, officers. I have not been ringing up on U.S. prisons uh, no. gr- in your office. In your own office, you're going to shoot someone in the head and get blood all over the walls. Mm. Grim ah. stuff going on there. Um, also. Now Gary Brown is a fine artist. You know, there's nothing yeah. there's nothing bad, you know, good storytelling, you know, strong basics. No, the but script doesn't challenge him. Yeah, though, because so. with this concept, I felt like there's a chance in the idea of, you know, time being rewritten to fit the character's point of view of what's good. There's something very interesting there visually, right? You can you, I I imagine, you know, someone with a you know, confronted with a better script doing like, well, at, the actual panel borders change around you and the world moving. And yeah. After, re- after reading Cobra Versus, I'm like, what would Michelle Fifth do with that? You probably that- should have read that last. <laughs> no, because what would Michelle Fifth do with that concept, right? With yeah. the, Can you imagine, like, or we've talked like about... the idea of the world changing around you as mm-hmm. you change the past. Or, uh, yeah. um, uh, who did Renato Johnson 1%? No, we're not going to talk about no, that. No, 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 but... Who? We're not going to talk about that, Tom. Sean! We are not talking about... Okay, J.H. Williams. Take someone else. J.H. Williams. Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, Frank Wiley, whatever. Okay. Yeah. And and it's not the artist's fault, because he... Like you said, the script doesn't actually make him right. do anything like, interesting. Like, this is not a book that you would give to Frank Wiley, because what exactly would he do there? there like, the script isn't ambitious enough to demand ambitious art in mm. response, even though the premise could have justified it. Mm. So, it's a pity. I... Uh. I think it might have some potential, but again, like knowing yeah, Barbieri, but, but it sorry. just requires you, too much. But saying you know, saying you know, it might be interesting in the collected form, but I don't care about it about the first issue. The mystery isn't interesting enough for me to come back. No, I don't sorry. need to know. Like I don't need to, know. and I know that this is a terrible generalization, but really. I don't need to know what this guy's issues are with his dad. I don't. I've seen I, you every know, you know what, you know variation. What I've, you know I've what seen I've been abusive thinking about? dad. I have seen well-meaning, incommunicative dad. I have seen abandoned dad. I have seen sexual assault dad. I have seen like every possible variation of the daddy issue scenario. I have seen it. If you don't have anything new to contribute to that, just please, you, for the love you, of God. You know what I've been thinking about while reading it? The first issue of Paper Girls. 
<laughs> which did, you know, which did, the, it, because it also ended on the time travel, what, what, what's going on, how do we get from there to yeah. here, but it was so much more interesting about it, and the characters were much more lively. That's a major part of mm. it. Like, think about it. The first issue of Paper Girls doesn't tell you that it's a time travel thing. Like, yeah. except for, like, that last uh, page, yeah. you don't really know what's going on, and, but... Think of like the characters stand out no, and so the nature, much, and the nature of the mystery of the the choice of what to present in the end yeah. is much much more interesting than in this issue's jump into the unknown moment or whatever because the unknown is only interesting if you make the character interesting, and it's not like there's no state there's no emotional states here for anybody. Uh, control, control, control number one. This is first issue out of six uh, mm-hmm. miniseries written by Andy Deagle and Angela Cruikshank. Crookshank? Yeah. With art by Andrea Moody. And this is a police procedural slash conspiracy From story. From Dynamite. Yeah. From We're Dynamite. doing a Dynamite book, Tom. Yes. We, we, haven't we done a Dynamite book before? Uh, the ladies reboot with the... Uh, oh, right, Sunday. right. But like yeah. this, you know, this is just an average and Dynamite our, book that we're picking up. Well, no, because... Go us! <laughs> Diversity! Anyway, uh, uh, our main character is uh, Detective Sergeant Kate Burnham. She works in the Washington Police Department, Metro Police Department. And she and her partner investigate a call being made about somebody killing someone, and that someone is apparently a trained assassin who kills her partner. Mm-hmm. And she teams up with a new partner to discover the whys and where-offs, and apparently it's all connected to some very, very uh, important people in Washington being Washington. They're not just important city-wide, they're important Now you said statewide. apparently connected. Yeah. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to spoil the plot. Go ahead. No, we should yeah. talk about it because there's an issue here. So go. For I it. think the most it's one of those things where I'm more interested in the premise than the actual issue because when you call something control and with the end there, you know, the thing that you see in the end, it's like they're doing the double meaning of control, right? It's about political and it's apparently sexual. Mm. It's, it's not as overt as something like the discipline, which is good. <laughs> which, which is good. But then again, I feel, I feel like you're aiming for something interesting, more interesting than your average crime procedural, but then you're not making the interesting points overt enough. So see, I took that in a completely different oh, direction. Okay. I'll tell you. First of all, let me preface by saying that I did like this. Hmm. I liked it, you know. But I can't say that if this mini-series has a premise that it communicates it well or at all. Mm. Think about it. This is the first chapter that ends on a cliffhanger featuring a character we don't know who is mentioned exactly once at the start of the issue. Yeah. Now, you might assume that the initial setup, because, like, the... I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I will say, like, the character in question is a U.S. senator who is proposing a controversial law. Yeah. Right? It's a controversial law to do with privacy and control, like, as yeah. a result of that. Okay. Well, you see the cover with the ball and well, the, the There's gag. a ball gag and a gun. It's like, yeah, sure. Like I said, they're, aiming, they're obviously aiming for something and And that, that's one aspect that, that would be interesting, except that everything that happens in the middle has nothing at all to do with this. Because what happens is, and and I do like this. Like I like that Diggle manages to create this character of Kate, who, at first glance, you might assume would be a strong female cop, yeah. right? Another one of those. But he manages to create this sense of conflict without going into melodrama because right, her partner dies. Yeah, she and goes, she reacts like a almost normal person. You know, yeah. she's but the star n- of an action comic that, book. 
not just that she's like sto- she's not stoic or anything, but she's also not like tearing at her hair and sobbing. Mm-hmm. But when she gets to the police station, her captain and her coworkers are like, uh, "You you abandoned your partner. Like you got your partner killed." And we, as the reader, know that that's not true. But like the, we're seeing her deal with people who are not like they're not punching her. No, they're not like openly shaming no, her. No, but even but the they are making comments of like but, this. She failed her. Yeah, her but body. even the captain saying, "Well, I have to do this. I have to ask these questions, whether I want to or not." Yeah, everybody acts like human people, not just that they're angry at her because like he died and mm. she survived. Like, it's it's survivors, Which... and that's more realistic than if he had died and she had just been like. Uh, I must it avenge happens. my partner. Yes, you know, he killed my partner. I'm going to find this son of a bitch mm-hmm. and I'll kill him. Now, I, fi- I think the theme of sexual repression is more overt if you reread it because when when her partner's saying, well, right, we, we've he... known each other for years and I don't know anything about you, and they're like, I'm a very private person for a good reason. Yeah, and he assumes that and she's a lesbian the, because and she with, won't and, and yeah, that. and with the end of the issue. So it's one of those things where you have to tread really carefully because it could be interesting. There is something interesting there, mm-hmm. but then again, it could also be really embarrassing for the for the creative team. And I, I, now, the interesting question mm-hmm. is, is Andy Diggle of the same uh, uh, mindset as a... Because this was someone who was in the Vertigo years and who was acting Yeah, but when, what, when he was doing his Vertigo series, it was The Losers, which was, you know... High octane action. It yeah. wasn't like uh, no. But what I'm saying is like because like oh, th- uh, there's sex in my comic. I've achieved something. Now see, and here's the thing: we've seen Diggle, but there's also Angela, right? Angela Again, Crookshack. I don't know. I, I don't know is. her, but it's I don't. And he's the bigger name, obviously, for comic book fans. But it's interesting when you write something like that. You're saying, well, I don't only want to bring my perspective. There that's has to fair. be another perspective. So if that's one of the reasons they chose to do I don't know. Did he bring her in as a co-writer? Did they bring it up together? Because I don't know her. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. But this it, could have been her pitch and they yeah. paired him with her, like more experienced yeah, writer. Yeah. It could be. Um, but it does, it does give me some hope that this yeah. won't be. Diggle's not a bad writer. I think no, he no. he can be a little more there, flexible. There, there is a, actually, I think Thief of I Thieves, think, for example, had some. I think less so because he he really is a man of you know. Give him a give him a good action crime story and he's there. Take him out of it. You know his Daredevil run, for example. Oh one, god, which people were ha- had eye hopes for, and then it's like it didn't work. He was possessed by the actual Satan, Tom. The actual Satan possessed Daredevil, and I, I remember. I tried to devil. remember. He did Hellblazer, right? He had an arc. Because every, did every British writer had an arc on yeah. Hellblazer. Hellblazer is like uh, I remember. I remember he, he was quite well reviewed on that. So you know, fine. I don't, I don't I, I don't remember any of the 2000 AD stuff because he was there but I can't for the life of me you that know That was after I sort of lost yeah. touch with it. Um it, uh, I don't think he did anything memorable in 2000 AD. I think no. it was just like a bunch of one shots and Yeah, like a Judge Dredd magazine yeah. here or there. You know, maybe I'm wrong. No, no nothing cuz like people when you think about like his legacy as a writer so people think about The Losers. Daredevil run, they think about The Losers. Thief of Thieves has also been mm-hmm. like uh it's solid. still ongoing, right? Technically. Yeah, solid, well-written. You know, it's, it's been good. Um, he had, like, a couple of graphic novels, I think. Uh, for the Vertigo received, Crime imprint. For the Grime imprint. Um, yeah. Which seemed okay. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I never fell in love with these. They were always like, yeah. oh, it's, you're trying to do a crime story, but you're not... It's like... You're not Sean. You're not Sean Phillips. You're not Ed Brubaker, are you? No, you are yeah. not. Well, there's room for other people in the crime genre. No, not, not, not according to these graphic novels. But at the same time, mm. like 
my issue here is more structural because like if the theme of the story is the control that the last page cliffhanger seems to suggest mm. you really only have i guess like it seems a bit of a stretch to me to say like her conversation with her partner about like he wants to have sex with her mm. and she doesn't because they're not romantically involved and she doesn't want to be but I don't know that that has anything to do with, like, the senator and the law that turns mm-hmm. up in the first page. And But then, like, the the bulk of the thing is a, is a murder mystery. Like, we don't... A part of the problem is, like, we don't know why this guy, like, killed these people, killed the cops. Like, like if we knew what his deal was and whether it was related to the supposed premise, that would be, I think, a bit more solid. Mm-hmm. But... You know, it's a six-issue miniseries. Andy Diggle is a very solid writer. Andrea um, Moody is a good artist. I really, I really like uh, Vladimir Propov. The colorist, what he's doing here, yeah. it's you know some really, you know, stark stuff. They're not trying. To, they're not aiming for realism. It's all like very moody, and that's appropriate. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like the the aesthetic of the tired, like the grim and gritty, dark brown, dark blue crime noir thing. It's when as she played out her, when in the she comics. and her partner, you know. Brush into the apartment and everything is like lit in black light. Yeah, it's, it's very nice stuff. I I recommend it. I'm I'm gonna stick around for the whole six mm. issues. I think I'm, I think I'm gonna wait for it to end and just read the whole thing in a go. But likewise, you know, yeah. But you know what? It, it, I better than I expected. I gotta admit. Yeah. So uh, shall we end with our patented patented? Only we're allowed to do that. Other comic podcast. Uh, yes. Trade slash arc review. We're, we're in. We review the main course. Yeah, we're today in we re- have an especially large buffet. Uh, yeah, uh, Omega Men issues yes. one through twelve. The uh, Tom King Barnaby Brock uh, Barnaby what? Sorry, Barnaby Brigenda. Barnaby Brigenda uh, maxi series for DC Comics has just finished uh, two eh, weeks maxi ago. Maxi series. 12 issues, you know. In my day, you know, 6 issue was a mini, no, 12 was a maxi. Maxi series implies it was designed that way. I think it was. I, it was I, announced originally for 12 issues. It was announced for... I, oh, and I uh, should mention, covers by Trevor Hutchinson. Oh, uh, yes. the, the best superhero covers in the last two, three years. Oh, yes. By a large, Oh, a large long, margin. long... Very even, impressive. Might stuff. even be the best comic book cover series of the year. Um, Might be. I need to like sit and reconsider. Yeah, I need to like look over. But it's been it's been a while since we had a superhero series with you know strong cover aesthetic of its own. Very distinctive styles. Uh, Should I describe the plot or? Well, before we do, let's just give like a little bit of background just to remind our readers, our listeners, I should say, (laughs) Um, our readers sitting there reading transcriptions of this podcast. I could do a transcript if I wanted Uh, to. I just don't want to. The the poor guy who's transcribing like uh you Uh, know uh, Mm, you know. uh, uh, what, uh, uh, my awkward silence. And then, like, you know, I, I, I say the F word and you bleep it, so he puts mm. down, like, B-L-E-E-P. Mm. Uh, anyway, so just a reminder. So the Omega Men was part of the DCU launch, yeah. right? All of these new titles that hit and sank. Um, DCU. DC who would be more appropriate. DC Jew. Oh. We're allowed to. We're, I, I get no, we're not. I'm allowed that, to. I'm a Jew. That's in bad taste. Anyway, slice it. But anyway, <laughs> so part of the uh, issue here, like what makes the Omega Men stand out in the context of the DCU, even though all the other books got canceled, is that when the DCU project was launched, part of the selling point was that Dan DiDio publicly uh, announced that DC was committing to at least 12 issues of every book that was being launched. The idea being that people were hesitant to. 
buy back in after convergence, after all of that mix up with the, the new 52, that they wanted some kind of sense of, at the very least, let this book run for 12 issues. No matter what, come hell or high water, let the story be told in that way. Well, now, hell I and high water came. I think, though, that what would have happened had these books been successful is that it would have just continued 13, 14, 15. Mm, okay. Like, I don't think that they were designed as maxi series. I think that they said, okay, we have 12 issues to tell a story. We are open, like, we're not going to stop at 12 if things are successful. The uh, hope was that it would keep going. I think the ending of this was so, you know, Punch to your gut, powerful. That I really don't see wh- how you where you're going from there. Well, well let's get yeah. to the end after we talk now, about the uh, beginning. So the plot is. The plot. Uh, oh, but the, wait, we we haven't finished the story. Oh, okay. So what makes Omega Man unique in this particular situation is that when issue eight was solicited, it was solicited as an early cancellation, mm. and DC readers were not having it. And I think the only reason that Dan DiDio eventually reversed the cancellation and let it end with issue 12 would be two things. First of all, they had just signed Tom King as DC exclusive and were No, that was before. That was Was it? Yeah, that was way before. Well, I guess but he, they, but he they was, weren't looking to alienate him. He was an up-and-comer. He yeah. was an up-and-comer. They weren't looking to alienate him and drive him off to image, which would have been our gain, but, you know, whatever. Uh, so they he reversed his decision, which mm. is a rarity for DC editorial. They decided, no, it will continue 9, 10, 11, 12, then they're done. It did not sell well, which... Mm just proves to me that the direct market are idiots. You are all idiots. Every single one of you are morons. <laughs> wow. Direct market, you all suck. You're terrible people, and you should be ashamed of your reading choices, and you should be ashamed you, you of the bu- books you that buy, you, you do not support. You can order the trade. There there will be a full... No. Books canceled. What? You can order the trade now? Uh, okay. Too late. I, I don't think so because I think as it stands, it's a complete story. And for so me, let's get into quite it. close to perfect story. So, uh, the, the Omega, Omega Man, Man isn't a new uh, no, concept. No, it's not an original concept. The original okay. Omega Men were created by Marv Wolfman, and I'm sorry, I forget the name of the artist. The idea was that they're a group of space heroes, uh, you know, brave rebels fighting the evil. Citadel in the Omega system, not in the Vega system. Had you ever read Omega Men before? No. The the only reason I think this uh, group is famous is because during the that short run, the original short one was when Lobo was introduced. Ah, that would be it. Now he was a very different character, but you know the name and the design was were there. So yeah. that's even in that's, the beginning, that's Lobo the big was character. Lobo. And ever since then, they appeared, you know, several short times and. 2006, I thought, I think there was like a six issue mini, uh, that nobody read. Mm-hmm. It was drawn by Henry Flynn, that's the only reason I remember it. Mm-hmm. But that's it. And they actually, I think, appeared in the New 52 before the DCU, like in a bit part, in like space, you know. Um, but that doesn't really matter. No, I, I, you're talking about the sneak preview where they, no, 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 right after what, right when the New 52 started. Oh, I, I, I think, but nobody remembers it, so I certainly wouldn't. Okay. And, so the plot is this. Yes. Uh, this in this new version, uh, the Vega system is being controlled by the vast and powerful uh, Alpha. Uh, how do they call it? The Alpha Empire, aka the Citadel, mm-hmm. and they have this agreement with the Grand Forces of the Galaxy, including the Guardians of Oa, that nobody interferes in their business. For we don't know why. Originally, we learn later. Uh, Kyle Rayner, the current White Lantern, the most powerful of all lanterns, mm-hmm. says, well, I'm going to fix things. And he says, I will come in and I will give you the Citadel of my ring, not interfering, you know, with my powers, 
and I will broke an agreement between the Citadel and the group of rebels fighting them called the Omega Men. And so he goes to the Omega Men, suing for peace, and then in the first preview, they execute him in front of the live studio audience. Slip chopping his head off. They Actually, I, I went back and yeah. I looked at the preview again. They don't decapitate him, they just they slit, slit his, his throat. throat. Yeah. yeah, but we know what they're aiming for. Right. Let's just say that particular illusion was neither subtle nor particularly tasteful. Uh, I think I think it it worked in the point. It worked perfectly, like, but it's like uh, well, maybe going a little it, it, too far. Okay. Uh, now, when the actual story begins, because this was like a ten-page preview in yeah. another title, we find out that Rainer isn't really dead. They just you know pretended to kill him in order to recruit him forcefully into their cause. The Omega Men are trying to. Not brainwash him, but like V for Vendetta him into like, yeah. this is why you need to follow us. They're and, trying to open his eyes basically by and showing the, him. The, the macro story is the Omega Man and their long, long term scheme to destroy the Citadel and make them vacate the Vega system. The micro plot is mostly about Rainer's transformation from a guy who believes that he can save everybody, you know, he can be the hero to somebody who makes more and more compromises with his principle and letting people die and eventually killing people in the name of doing what's right. Side note, was Kyle Rayner always a practicing Christian? Because uh, I feel like I that haven't, was a I haven't actually read his personal series. Uh, he wears know. a cross in yeah. the series. He recites the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, it's several always like, times. God, 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 God. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't remember that being part of his background. Uh, but uh, again, I haven't actually read his solo series, so I wouldn't know. I've only read his appearances in, like, Justice League and such. Right, but in and those appearances... No, but, you know, in Grant Morrison's Justice League, nobody had a lot of time for personal interests. Everybody was yeah. basically punching punching gods the whole time. It seemed a bit incongruous, but uh, in any I, I can accept that. Because here's... Okay, I'm gonna jump to the end, not plot-wise, but, you know, summation-wise. Okay. Uh, this makes every other DC series, and I'd say most other Marvel series not written by Tom King, look like Amateur Hour. Yes. This does. is great. Not not good for a superhero movie, for a superhero comic book, not a good comic book. This is straight out great. A work of art. A masterpiece. Yeah. There are some problems, and we'll get to them, but really, uh, buy it, read it, steal it, I don't care. I, it, you know what? Maybe don't, because after you read this one, just about <laughs> any, because after reading this, I've tried to read other, you know, superhero <laughs> comics, and it's like, why bother? You're You're not there. Um, it's just, it's it such is, a gut punch of a series. It is a phenomenal book. Like, mm-hmm. I knew Tom King was good. But to even to compare Omega Men to Grayson, this is a whole oh, yeah. other level. You know, Grayson is him doing light and fluffy. Omega Men is him going, you know, all in. Just, he like, he manages to tap into some really dark themes mm. to do with like war and how it transforms people and you know oppressive governments and corrupt faith and, and American and interventionism in genocide, the Middle East all of these themes colonialism now and most of the time when you try to do these themes these heavy themes in superhero comic books it looks it it's painful it's it's amateur st- hour yeah it's painfully stupid and it looks, you know, you put all these color-coded people and you say, we're going to talk about the Holocaust. And, yeah. and you're like, no. Uh, you- Denny O'Neill with the, um, that speech to Hal Jordan. Yeah. You've done everything for the orange skins and the purple skins, yeah. but what have you done about the black you skins? You know, earnestness is fine, but it's still... It, it, it's it's offensive. It's almost offensive when most yeah. of your story is doing it. Not beer. I think because in most cases, 
writers like Mark Miller or whoever tried to create like a one-to-one parallel between political situations on the one hand and then just taking them and copy-pasting them into a superhero world where you know that it doesn't work like that. Oh, like the, yeah. the rules of this world would not make sense of like, now you're going to start dealing with colonialism? You can't do that. That doesn't even make any sense. You're going to start talking about like terrorism and the Patriot Act in the Marvel Universe. Eh? You have, beca- you have telepaths. But because the story takes place literally outside of the regular confines of yeah, the DCU. And that is a big part of the appeal here. King's interpretation of the Vega system, mm. the way that he manages to create these worlds and gives them detail and gives them depth and gives them... And again, like 12 issues is not a lot of time. It's not a whole well, lot of pages. It's a lot It's a lot of time if you divide the panels right. And here's the thing. Uh, Omega Man is mostly presented in the nine-page grid, the classic. And again, I just, I've just read Rebirth and like it's offensively stupid the way they try to use it to like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Watchmen. But uh, what King and uh, and uh, Briganda are doing is they're saying, well, no, the reason this grid is so good is because we can use it to produce a lot of context and create Which a lot they of, do. and create a lot of plot. Hmm? Began- Which they do. Briganda, sorry. Why I said Briganda, I don't know. You were thinking of Briganza. Uh, no, 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 no. no. G- g- Garad, Not that no. we would ever give Alpha, him credit Al- for. Alpha, no. Eh. But really, like, think about eh, the but- amount of work that King manages to work into this setting, right? Mm-hmm. All of these worlds are distinct mm-hmm. in a way that I've only ever seen recently in Descender. Mm-hmm. It, like, I, I'm reading these 12 issues. Never once did I get confused between the different worlds. Because they're so distinct and they're so detailed. Like, this is the world where the priests live, right? And this is the world where the cat tribes are fighting each other. And each world has a different manifestation there's, of the resistance. There's to the so, much so much intricacy. And character work and world building within these 12 issues. More than most other creators would do in like 20 issues or 30 issues. And, and it's also because they're so intent about compressing stuff and you know a lot of stuff is you know hinted or just shown in the background when they actually do the big moments when you see Kyle Rayner you know finally retaking his power ring you get a full page spread because they haven't done full page spreads before or when Callista at the very end Mm -hmm. like when she wins yeah at the end like that's a that's a full page spread but that's enough when you do the full page spread it actually feels powerful most other superhero comics, they're doing them as, you know, they do them because it's easier for the artists to do a full-page spread than do a 9-panel, 12-panel, whatever grid. Yeah, they get paid the same, I assume. Uh, um, anyway, back to the story. But yeah, this is just like, it is an amazing science fiction story. I wouldn't even call it a superhero story, to hmm. be honest with you. Well, no, it's Kyle a- Rayner's character here has the motivation of a superhero in yeah. that he wants to save everyone. But at the same time, you see in his conversations with Callista in the like the slow mm-hmm. way that he's connecting to the other Omega men, his justification for why he wants to save everyone has nothing at all to do with nobility. He is a good person. Yeah. Or he wants to think of himself as a good person. Yes. But he has very, very specific reasons for this compulsion to want to just save everyone and, and take stupid risks in order to try and no, save I, everyone. No, I think it works because, I think it works as a superhero store because he is a superhero in a non-superhero world. And again, most of the time when you do that, when you bring it in the superhero to the quote-unquote real world, it just looks so lame, but they make it work. Because it actually, it's not just presented as stupid, uh, 
you know, stupid Kyle Rayner. Optimism is for kids. It presents no. this is the painful reality. He's not. Oh, yeah, he is. the The fact that he doesn't understand the situation mm. that he's in is a major aspect of like his character arc because it's only in issue four or five where they play that stunt on him to try to get him to sympathize with their side. It's like, look at these worlds, right? These are the worlds that are being controlled by the Citadel, and you thought that you could go to the Rebels and make peace with them. Look at what's been going on here, right? Look at, like, these Yet worlds are... at the are... same time, they're avoiding the, you know, the Rebels are, you know, nice people fighting the evil Empire. It's they're not, not. It's not Star Wars. You know, the Rebels are political and they're and they're saying well we're going to use terror tactics because it works and because we're small and weak and they're large and powerful and their leader i mean look callista is introduced as a serial killer mm-hmm. you know that's what she is she, and a, she's a, and princess. a serial manipulator yeah she is a, a a person who like our introduction to how she sees the world is her dueling natives and killing them one after the other. And she's been doing it since she was six, to the point where she has lost count of how many people she has killed. Like, it's the institutionalized barbarism mm. and savagery that she represents, and she's the leader of the group. It's her plan, mm. right? Just brilliant and, characters. Oh, yeah, and it, when it starts, you think, oh, these are, you know, there's nice designs, and they quite, you know, Scraps is cool, and Doc is nice looking, but... As, as the issues go on and you reveal their history, like the reveal of, uh, of Brutes and why, why he's called Brute and mm-hmm. what does it mean within the context of the culture or, uh, what's the name of the cat, Ren? Uh, uh, Tigor. Tigor, uh, right. The reveal of Tigor's history of yeah. how he came to know the people in charge of the Sindel, that's heartbreaking because he's people sending to die to prove his, you know, his worthiness. Even the Viceroy. Mm-hmm who is as close to a traditional villain mm. for the story as could be possible, right? He's the guy in charge of the Citadel. He's administering the Vega system. Everything that happens, like the, the brutality... Well, 39 that these of our guards through, dead, so we need to kill like 100 4, of your people for every one of them. Yeah. Even that, like, he has this monologue at the end where it's like, you know, I, I did when this dis- because I love you. When you discover why he's doing it? Yeah, it's like, because he says, like, everyone in the Citadel hates you. They all want you that I was the only one who, 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 who loves you. Because who wants to- the whole, the whole, uh, he's wrong, thing that Kyle Rayner is, is going about is that he's the third way. You know, he wants to find the third way. Yeah. And when you discover that the Citadel, that the Viceroy is actually, this is the third way. This is the nice compromise. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, the viceroy says to him at some point, you know, I was you. I came here to find the third way, and you know, you are fighting me now. But look at where I you just, are again. Reading this comic, it's it's like it's a bit like going to the doctor because you need it. You know, it's healthy it's a for treat. you. It, no, no, no. I don't think of it like that. I think of it as a treatment because it's you. You read it and you're like, oh, I need to read this. I need to know this. It's yeah. good for me, but it's painful. It's like at certain um, points reading this, I was like, oh my god. I, I, I wouldn't because go that I, far. I wouldn't because I don't want to confront these things about myself and about the world I'm living in. It's painful. It's well, politically painful. At the painful. end of the day, though, it's still fiction. Like you know, well, there's yeah. a there's a divide that you can go there where it's like, okay, it's a really great, really complex story. There's a lot of mm. fantastic political uh, content there, and action and deep character work and twists and turns. There are a few flaws that I'll get to in a moment. Mm. But I don't think that, like, you can read that and be like, oh, like, it's reflecting on my own life. Well, it's reflecting uh, to Americans, because this is specifically about American point of view in the Middle East. And we are, well, you and and I are actually within the Middle East. We 
We are within the Vega system. Yeah. We are not Kyle Rayner. No, we're not. There are so many things I could do with that ring. <laughs> it's like, you know. But in any event, let's talk a little bit about the flaws. Okay. And I'm going to say straight off the bat that I do believe that almost all of the flaws that I perceive in the structure and pacing of this series is completely down to how the deal was dicking them around. Mm-hmm. Because I know they were told, like this creative team was informed, that their series would be ending prematurely at issue 8. And then they had the four issues again. And I know that, like, there was, like, a, fa- uh, you know, a rush to finish and then pulling back and then a rush to finish the first, again. Uh, the last two issues takes place over a year of time. In, like, eight panels. Day 60, day 100, day 150, yeah, day Issue 11 is basically a whole, you know, year-long year. war played in a... Which, in- and I understand the logic of mm. that particular way of doing it, but at the same time, it does feel like a cheat. Because purports to the the war itself would have been the most transformative event for these characters right and you don't like the next time you see them it's when the war is over and they've won i don't think so because for me i think the transformative moment for calrana because the others aren't transformed they've already set it their path before that the transformation is greater i think the important thing is when he said i'm joining these people with war once he said i'm going to kill people for the cause that's the big moment of transformation. And everything else, the actual the actual killing is just details. It is, but it's, it also it's, creates it's the decision. a sense of... Like, the, the stakes for the story, you know, the, building this rebel army, getting all the planets of the Vega system to work together, is something that King paces appropriately, right? You see every mm-hmm. single world, every single approach, everything that happens, step one, step two, step three. And the war itself gets skipped over... And then, like, you immediately jump to the Viceroy's defeat. And I understand that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, had this series been 24 issues, I know that King would have spent a year dealing with the intricacies and Kyle's pushback. Because Kyle committing to war against the Citadel doesn't necessarily mean that he automatically validates everything that the Omega Men would have well, done. Well, he's like, not validating, but he, he, like, he, he there doesn't would have mean been, that his way doesn't work. Right, but there would have been like pushback on his part, I think, mm-hmm. as part of his character arc, to be like, how far is he willing to go? How far is he... Not, like, where's the line for him? Mm-hmm. The line has moved, but what does that mean? The, a lot could have been done there. Okay. But that's not the only issue of like the pacing problem here. Mm-hmm. So a cast member dies halfway through the book. Yeah. And not only is the death scene completely unclear, it's it the characters mention it the next issue as if it's something that happened. I'll spoil. Okay. okay. So Brute. Yeah. Brute dies at the end of issue five, I think, right? When yeah, they're looking, breaking the, the rock. They're looking for a key. He breaks the rock. He says something like, I'm dying, but you don't have any reason to... Like, it's not clear why he's dying, what's well, he happening. he killed himself via effort. He's made out of rock, though. Like, <laughs> I, I under... And he broke the unbreakable It's not rock. a convincing scenario. And then in the next... Like, they don't acknowledge his death in that issue, but then the next issue is like, you know, oh, Brute's dead. I'm like, what? Mm. Wait, what? There's no moment to... Uh, I... And Brute was like one of the more spiritual members of well, the character. Well, I... I... I really, I really like what they did with Brute there because his point that he comes from a planet of religious fanatics who are all lying to themselves and to yeah, the world. They're all corrupt. And he, they're all bribed. And he's, he's the one true believer. And despite that, he's throwing his faith away, saying, I'm willing to give up paradise to save this world. 
It's almost... A, it's an act of spite for him. He it's says, almost... Like, I'm going to hell, and I have no, the key No, no, it's, it's not spite. It's not spite. It's pure belief in front of lies, and it also reminded me of Terry Pratchett's uh, Small Gods, which one of the best books, you know, fiction books I've read about religious belief. Mm-hmm. And about, you know, f- even within the lies, you find the higher truth. Right. Uh, every single issue, by the way, ends with a quote from... Uh, who William James. William James. Well, I've just... Uh, I've actually started reading William James because of this, and it's fascinating. It's it some, some fascinating stuff. I never read him before, and I don't really usually read, you know, religious apologies and uh, explanations, but this is it's interesting the exploration stuff. of morality via faith. Yeah. It's... Which might explain why mm-hmm. King played up the whole Catholicism. Oh, well. yeah. Well, he plays religion in general. The Alpha is both the name of the conquering army and the name of the god for the system, you know, because... Yeah. They have different interpretations, but everybody there believe in the created one. The, the act of creation, the alpha, and opposite them, the omega, the end, the death mm-hmm. of everything. And everybody's like, always think alpha or think omega. And yeah. There was one other problem, work. like, okay. cast-wise, though. Um, like, if Brute had been the only incident, I guess I could have been, mm. like, I could have swathed it on the rug. Primus disappears in the last third of the, of the series. What? No, he's still there. He's there, but, like, he has no you, presence you, anymore. You have the sense from the first two issues that he's gonna be the most important team yeah, member. Yeah, but then, like, but then, because he's supposed to be the leader, but then we discover the true leader, and he's gonna, right. like... It's sort of a con job, and we understand that, but then, like, his role, uh, once the, there's a scene at the very end where someone's like, Primus, you know, you're, you're, uh, nonviolent. It's like, but Primus had not been seen or mentioned for at least three issues beforehand. Mm. He would, he might turn up in like a panel montage, but like yeah. before that, it's because the, because of the focus shifts to Kalista, and then there's also like, uh, they go more into Scrapper's backstory because it's more relevant to what's actually going on at the time. But he doesn't, he just sort of like drops out of the story and then comes back at the very end. It's like this really, really tragic note when they're doing the, um, the postmortem for the war, right? Mm. When Kyle is back with, who's this person that he's sitting with, by the way, this head of the general galactic alliance. I have no idea who this is. He seems human, but I have the guy no- at the end of the last issue. Yeah. Who no, is no, that? They're, they're back on earth. I know, but this guy is like in charge of some kind of galactic. No, no, no. He's just mi- U.S. military liaison because you assume in the DC universe they have military liaison with aliens. It would have been nice to mention his name. Like I, I have no idea who because that is. What they're playing with? Uh, okay, since we're, I don't want to spoil, but the reason why uh, the Citadel works and the reason why everybody gives them their yeah. fair breath. Again, it's it's a very nice use of the expanded universe concept, and it's a compelling reason. Yeah. And you get the sense of, you know, and it ends with Kyle Rayner back on Earth sort of debriefed in front of U.S. military. By who, though? It doesn't really matter. He represents... No, because there's someone else, like, in the... There's an earlier scene where the Viceroy is talking, talking to, to the person who's actually in charge, right? No, yeah, it, He's like, not, I, have, I have a billion yeah, uh, It's planets. not a person in charge, it's just other interests, and they're saying... One person, though. Well, it's one voice we hear, but, you know, they use the accent of, like, uh, Southern Red. Yeah, that's why and, I thought, like, are you talking to this guy? No, he's... No, 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 he's talking to... If we're doing the United States occupation, this... The guy, the voice on the other line would be, like, the head of... Of, uh, you know, Shell or something like this, like the head of a big oil company who's like, no, we don't run, not the guy who runs things politically, but the guy who has the money and the power interest there. That's not what he says though. Like, when the Viceroy speaks to the character, he says, I've got 
like I've got a, 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 a million, million a million worlds counting on, on mm-hmm. my decisions. It was like that's not an oil company. That's a person who's in political power. I, I disagree. And they I... make a reference to like a larger galactic yeah. uh, thing. So well, like, I, I didn't understand. You, you think UN? I think like OPEC. Here's the f- because well well po- politics is you know corporate yeah but like I feel mm. like maybe a line of dialogue to explain that would have been nice mm. but you know that I think is down to just like the back and forth of are we ending at issue eight are we ending at issue twelve are we going to get it renewed well you know what the I'm, ending I'm, is is brilliant yeah I thought. Like I'm, at I'm, the very end when you see it's, like it's almost Watchmen esque of you know oh yeah uh, connecting the nature of comics to the story. That's so hard to do. Now, I'm so happy. This is the one reason I'm happy Rebirth happened, because whatever happened with these characters later, if somebody decides to revive them, I can rest assured knowing it's not this version of the characters. Like, right. this version of the Omega Men is Tom King yeah, the story's and Vaganda done. alone. Like, that's King, it. King drew a very effective line at the very end mm-hmm. by, on the one hand, leaving it open, but on the other hand, like... The, Nobody the, else touch this, please. Kyle, the the thought of Kyle Rain, like I don't even need. To, uh, this is why the ending is so satisfied. It ends with an open question that's being asked to the of reader. Kyle. Yeah, no, of Kyle. Like, are are you going mm. to? And he doesn't answer. He just has this like far away look in his eyes. And again, like the end of Watchmen, of what would happen when you? It's the journal. It's a question. Like the journal it's a question not to... only for the character but for the reader. What would you do? That does not need to be, be answered. answered because... That's the thing, right? It it ends, and like you get to see how. Each of the Omega Men gets what they want, and it's not what they wanted. Like they, mm. they all think that they have achieved some great victory here, and you see immediately that it's you know it it, uh, it makes perfect sense <laughs> that it ends the way it does, but it's yeah, not uplifting it. at all. No, and um, really, it's it's a closed twelve issue run. Just leave it alone, yeah. DC. And I guess we don't have to worry about that because like DC was clearly mm. never supportive of this title. Mm. There was never I don't remember any ads running that were talking about like you know Omega yeah, Men, yeah, this you know, great think, science fiction you, you, political. I'm sorry, thing. I think and images would have been like. I'm sorry, thank God. Do you imagine like somebody deciding well we should cross over this into the Dark Side War or whatever? Do you really want that? <laughs> Let it be its own thing. It, it, it suffered yeah. in sales. But you know, it will echo in eternity. This will survive in book form. Yeah. This will be read and I would analyzed hope so. and thoughts. It will. I hope if, so. And if nobody else, I will, every year, <laughs> I will, I will make the Omega Day. Like, remember the best DC series in the last five years. Remember. If, if we're talking, like, look, there were products of DCU that I enjoyed. Yeah. Midnighter. Midnighter, uh, I like. Grayson. I liked Grayson. I initially liked Batgirl, uh, I was somewhat fond of Black Canary. I was okay with Hellblazer. Uh, like, you know, things that I was, like, ambivalently sort mm. of interested in, but, you know, take it away, don't cancel, whatever, I'm not gonna care. This book is not just the best thing to come out of the DCU. It's the best thing to come out of, uh, uh, the New 52. Mm. It's the best. It might even be the best thing that Dan DiDio has ever produced during his editorial <laughs> it, it reign. It might be the best Vertigo series that isn't called a Vertigo series. Could you imagine this at Vertigo? Well, the early I, not a word would have changed. No, no, no. But like, I can see like they could have Karen Berger's Vertigo would have taken this. Yes. I think 
and been like you know do, and, but also it might have lasted. Now I don't know what begins the uh, next project is, but you know, great artwork, you mm-hmm. know, just really, really great stuff from the character design to the page layout yeah. to the the fight scenes. Oh my god, the the now let the, me ask the, you something: Callista versus Scraps versus Tiger oh, yeah. fight scene, amazing, yeah, huge. Let me ask you something though, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. Tom King is extremely talented. We knew this. Yes. Does this series? convince you to read King's Batman, though. Yes. This series was con- convinced me to read King's everything. I would read King's Diary. I would mm. read King's shopping list right now. Mm. It, I, the shine might come off. You know, it came with other writers before. Well, no, not, but not the issue of the shine. The issue of, like... I, I do think that a large reason why King is so successful with this book, and it's something that I've said more than once... What was Kyle Rayner doing in New 52? Nobody really cared, right? This was a character who, after the whole Blackest Night thing, became the White Power Lantern, which I don't think is a title that they thought through entirely. (laughs) The White Power versus the Blackest. Yeah, maybe not the best uh, 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 way to go, but in any event, like, you know, they sort of just sent him off into space, and that was it. None of his supporting characters are around. I haven't seen Jade anywhere. I don't they know are what... in a fridge, I believe. Probably. Of some I sort. Maybe not... a cupboard. I would not be surprised. Mm-hmm. So, like, King does here what he does best, which is to take a character that no one cares about and no one is paying any attention to. Like, there was not going to be a situation where someone's going to be like, we really need Kyle Rayner for the Dark Side War storyline. No. We really need that. Nobody was going to say that because they have Hal Jordan, they have all these other people, nobody cares. So, again, and, and like the Omega Men themselves is a property that has been out of circulation or at least out of popular circulation. I don't even think the original version was all that successful. Like, it's not remembered as one of DC's iconic titles of the 80s. Mm. You know, so, I, I do chalk this up to another success of King managing to do what he wants because no one is looking. Tell me that that would be the case with a character like Batman, though. I don't. Could he do a story like this? I don't. And and put Batman in a terrorist. No, no, because I believe that King knows the limitations that he can work with, and he can work with them. Now, would I'm sure he does. Would I now? Would I prefer to read more stuff like this or the Sheriff of Babylon? Yes. Do I think that his Batman would be less than good? No. I'm not saying less than good. I'm just saying like... Okay, would I prefer something else? Risky. Like, do do you see him being able to Uh, be... Because a big part of the Omega Men, like, when you think of it, why is it so powerful? It's because there's nothing else like it. I think... It takes chances. uh, No, because when DC falls in love with a writer, and when the writer actually, you know, uh, gives them the sales to back it up, they allow him to do pretty much everything. Because Mm. you remember when Scott Snyder was so big that he could actually... Uh, decide the price of a Batman comic. The corporate saying, yeah. you know, you this has to be three ninety nine. He ended up losing that fight. Well, no, in because the Bat- end. Well, for a long, long time. Yeah, and th- you know, uh, story wise, it's more important to them to make money. So if a, if a big writer can basically force their hand to change prices, a big writer can force their hand to let him do plots, and you know, he will feed this for a metaphor. It would be less obvious, but I believe King knows what he's doing. And at this point, I, I would read anything that King does. I do too. I you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna finish this podcast. I'm gonna order his book because he wrote a fiction book before he became a comic writer. Hello, Once Crowded Sky, a superhero fiction book. 
Yes. Our listeners can't see me with like wide eyes and open jaw, but I am right now writing yeah. Tom King novel by immediately. Yeah, yeah. Just that needs yeah. to happen. Ooh, tasty. Yeah, because he is. No, he is the best writer at DC right now. The best, DC. number one. Yeah, I love Scott Snyder. I do, but I cannot deny. I, I, I love. I, you know, I love Jason Aaron. I think he might be better than Jason Aaron in Marvel right now. <sighs> Substantially. Now, ma- now, Aaron, you know, has a much wider library. And Aaron he, has evolved too. Yeah. Like Aaron is someone who has shown a great deal of progress from the days when his shtick was just, you know, look at all this. Flashy stuff, and there was no no substance to it. Oh, he I, has I think, grown from that. I think Aaron always has substance, but I'm thinking of the Hellfire Kids. I'm thinking more of you know his early early stuff, like the Vertigo stuff that he did. Vertigo's different. I'm saying yeah, like, yeah. Schism. Well, yeah. yeah, not so much. Yeah, but thinking of any other superhero comics in the last five years or so that was like this, not just a good superhero story, but a good story, something that's I'm quite. What, what I might do. I might, like, wait for either, like, six issues or 12 mm-hmm. issues of King's Batman just to be well, like, you know is not it gonna, safe? You're not, they're not going to cancel that. No, but it's <laughs> like, they, they might do what they did with Grayson and bring on two other writers, like, apropos of nothing to wrap up his story. I don't know, like, how he could have been willing to sign up with DC after they stole his own ongoing that he made successful... And let someone else do the ending. I, I don't maybe understand this, how maybe, that works. Maybe he was overworked because he's doing Sheriff of Babylon. He was doing Omega Man. He was doing uh, Vision. Vision's and done. Like Vision. No, is, no, no. But at the it's time, it's running until twelve, and then it's, yeah. But at the time, he was doing four series at one, and these are not lightly written issues. No. So you know, he might have been overworked and saying, you know what? I if I have to let go of something, it's the light, fun With action. Two book. issues left. Yeah. I, I don't With know. two issues left? I don't know. <laughs> no. I, Again, it seems odd to me because DC is famous for forcing the hand of the writer, but yeah. only when they don't like him. And they, re- they no, obviously... No, it's got nothing to do with liking. They forced Rucka's hand and they they certainly were and, fond and enough t- of him at the time. At the time, they weren't really that. Because when they fall in love with somebody, they do. Because Jeff Johns could do whatever Jens, Jeff Jones wanted and Scott Snyder could do what Scott Snyder wanted. And hopefully, Tom King can do whatever could Tom he though? King... Because Scott, Scott Snyder, for all of his changes and all of the things that he did differently. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, the status quo still reasserted himself. Whoa. He killed Batman, I think, three different times, didn't he? That's his prerogative, you know. Yeah, kill him like, he, well, he, he never, he never expected Batman to stay dead. But we, so like, we had this discussion before. Yeah. We just end um, with Omega Man. Uh, what, what? So really, I would be, I think, willing to give uh, King's Batman a try only if I knew that there's a story there that is not going to be like. So for the next crossover, uh, the next three issues will be dealing with um, uh, uh, Darkseid's uh, uh, Dark baby that now has like magical time traveling powers and is trying to kill. I don't know. I don't know what what nutty ass crossovers they're doing over there, and I do not care. But it's certainly more appealing now than it was before I read Omega Man. Now it's like harder to resist, yeah, because this was really. One of the best DC books that I have read in recent memory. It's nice to end with a great comic. But something that we can Isn't bo- it though? We, we've both, we haven't agreed on a good comic for a long, long time. It's either I liked it or you liked and, it. And in DC of all places, yeah, yeah. like, you know, that's where you find greatness. So, uh, this was it. I'm yep. Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. Until next time. Bon appetit.